Hello and welcome to the Lights on the Screen podcast. I am your host, Jacob, and joining me as always is Taylor. How are you? Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm here. It's another week where I'm very tired, but I'm really um, excited to talk about movies, but I also am just like, I want to sleep <laughs> immediately. <laughs> it's been a, a long couple of days. It has. It has definitely been a long couple of days. And, uh, of course, we are also joined by Elena, who is still has her ringing ears from a certain concert this week. I I did indeed partake in the Harry Styles concert. <laughs> I did indeed line up for 15 hours beforehand. <laughs> and I was approximately two metres away from him, so it was worth it. Yep. All worth I it. don't want to talk about it yet. I'm still, <laughs> still recovering. Still emotionally. <laughs> still emotionally there. Did you did you scream? Did I scream? Period. No. Did you did you <laughs> did you scream? Leave America. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was, and it was okay. So it was like the last three songs, the encore. It was like all of us, like my friends, we were just like so dead. We were like, we love him, but can he please wrap it up? <laughs> we are so tired. <laughs> And so we were like not even singing the words at the last few songs because we were just like so fatigued. But when it came to Leave America, we just were like (laughs) screamed it, had every ounce of energy that we had in our bodies, just like screamed that. And then we were like, okay. Knowing knowing where Metricon is, like, so a bit about me, I went to the school that's across from where Metricon is. Right. I, I, that was the school I grew up, I, I went to when I was a kid. And seeing people recording from there mm. no, and, like, going, oh, yeah, this is how loud it is. I was like, oh, my God, I cannot yeah. imagine. Can you? I cannot imagine being in the houses because yeah. there's, like, a little – there's, like, in that area, there's there's this little, like, Italian area that has like these all these houses that are like Italian houses, and then there's the golf course. And I, well, could yeah, not. I stayed like two kilometers from there, and the Airbnb host was like, "Oh yeah, we heard, <laughs> <laughs> we heard it." <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it it. I'm very glad, very glad that I'm not on the Gold Coast that week because from just looking, mayhem. just looking at the, just seeing the videos and seeing people trying to leave. Why was it Metricon? I'll never know because yeah. that place is not built for no. a concert. No, it's not built for a concert, and like the bus system is a mess, mm-hmm. and there's mm-hmm. no other system. Like, <laughs> if you don't want to take a bus, there was. A, I saw a TikTok of some, someone. She was filming her and her friends, and she was like, "This is the walk of shame, where we're just walking like two <laughs> kilometers down the road because there's no way to like yeah. get a bus or get in or out or like." Just- I was so glad that I like had accommodation like literally just a walk away because otherwise oh. i would have been spewing but yeah. well because yeah yeah because narang station from there is like a 15 minute drive it's not close it's not like yeah. a easy well, walk. i know friends that had to just walk there yeah they it's to, like they just t- had, they couldn't get 45 minute they walk. Had to do it it's, yeah yeah no it's no. listen metricon ain't where it's at man no. that's that's bad if you're gonna do it do it at save us yeah <laughs> or just do it at um Suncorp. Yeah, he could anyway. have easily sold or the Gabba. Or the Gabba. The Gabba, yeah. The Gabba at least has like the Gabba is literally Metricon. Central. It just has the public transportation yeah. part that yeah. Metricon just refuses to do anything yes. about. 
Anyway, there's some uh, geography lessons for for our listeners. (laughs) Some town planning, if you you will. We have a massive show for you guys. Uh, We're going to be covering the latest in the Creed franchise and giving you the films we personally have voted for in this year's Academy Awards. But before we get into that, Taylor... What have you been watching? This segment is the what have you been watching Taylor's version of this week because literally I've powered through so much stuff uh, since the last episode. Um, So I guess we'll just start at the beginning and uh, work our way forward. So I watched Jenny's Wedding and in and out for the first time, uh, which they're both very different um, very different stories about like queer LGBTQA plus relationships. Um, and they're both, to me at least, they both feel really unique um, and very, I guess, um, not stereotypical in how they approach telling that kind of struggle. Um, Jenny's wedding, I think definitely has that more kind of stereotypical like where she comes from this religious family and like her parents and her community just like don't know how to deal with it but it doesn't feel um like it doesn't feel cheesy and it doesn't feel like it's like preaching to you it just feels like this really heartfelt kind of story of this family trying to deal with um, what matters to them if it's the their community and like the morals that they have to have to s- stay a part of that community or if it's their daughter and like her happiness and having their family be this actual family unit and so I thought it was really um, just like a really good exploration of that in and out is definitely a far more um, it's it's got more like camp to it for sure. <laughs> like it's definitely um <laughs> I don't know, it's a wild movie to have come out in 97. Yeah. For sure. It, in and out, in and out so cuz I've never seen Jenny's Wedding, but I've seen In and Out. And mm-hmm. In and Out's uh very I think very funny and very charming movie. It is. It for is. For the time um I the the story behind what how that movie was made is hilarious to me like what it's inspired by. See, that I don't know, but just like going into it watching it and having it be like even even watching it now with how much has changed between the late 90s and where we are now, I still think that it's such an and even maybe more so now. It's such an interesting commentary on like the stereotypes of like feminism and like being effeminate and being masculine and like what how people view those things have you do you know either of these movies no surprisingly um you can talk more about jenny's wedding because i have no idea what that one is actually like what year was jenny's wedding so jenny's wedding is i mean it depends it's 2015 so it's much more recent but um jenny's wedding basically is um so Catherine Heigl plays Jenny, and she comes from the family that is very religious, like has this community where it's very gossipy about, um, you know, like everyone knows everyone and everyone knows everyone's business. And if anyone's doing anything that's, you know, quote unquote, 
unbiblical or whatever. Like everyone's going to know about it. Um, and she has been her, her roommate. They know her as her roommate. Um, but it's been her partner. Um, Alexis Bledel plays her partner, but her family has only known her as her roommate and her mom and her sister have kind of been bugging her about like, just how, when are you going to settle down? Like the kind of typical like family thing. And her sister basically starts badgering her and being like, you know, are you like something happens where she basically starts a rumor that her sister, that Jenny is like dating a married man. And that's why she won't talk about like any of her relationships or like why she won't see anyone. And Jenny just kind of goes along with it to an extent, just because she's like, doesn't know how to handle anything. And she'd rather have people thinking that (laughs) she's with a married man because of who her family is. Mm. And then her, she goes to her parents anniversary party and decides that she's going to tell her parents because she actually wants to get married. Like she had this heart to heart with her dad and she's decided that she actually wants to get married. That's something she wants to do. So she has to tell her family and she tells her mom and dad and her mom does not handle it well at all. Makes her promise like not to tell anyone about it, not to tell her sister, not to tell like her brother, the rest of the family. Um, and like, obviously you know, Jenny's just heartbroken about that being like, well, how am I supposed to be like fully embrace being this person I want to be and get married and have this happy life, but not tell any of the rest of the family or any of the community. Like, how is that supposed to work? And the real heart of the film is her learning how to protect herself in a sense where she gets to a point where she, instead of, Because her parents essentially try it. Her dad tries to guilt her into being like, if you do this, you're being really selfish because you're going to hurt your mom. Like, if you tell other people and, like, it becomes this thing, your mom's going to be really hurt and really upset, and that's really selfish of you. So the movie is her trying to reconcile with, is that selfish of me, or is it me just wanting what everyone else gets to have, what you guys have told me over and over, that like, you want me to have with my life? Um... And so it's a family kind of trying to deal with that, essentially. Um, and like I said, I just think it's a really kind of heartfelt exploration of that. Um, and it's just something that I had never really heard anyone talk about, but I was kind of like looking for movies to watch. And I was like, you know what? That could be interesting. And then I was like, this is not at all what I thought this movie was going to be. And I don't I don't know if people just like missed it, like if people mm. just hadn't seen it because... From what I can see on Letterboxd, like, nobody I know has ever watched it. <laughs> Catherine Heidel but, in the late yeah, 2010s. 13,000 people have watched it yeah. on Letterboxd. It's not much. Yeah. And but, the reviews I'm seeing are not good. <laughs> which, fair enough. Like, it's not a masterpiece, but I think it's a mm. cute, like, movie that, again, I think has a really interesting exploration of a family trying to deal with a situation like that. And we don't really have a lot of movies that do that still. Mm. Um, I think we're getting better. But I thought it was pretty good for 2015. And then, yeah, In-N-Out is like, <laughs> what What are your thoughts about In-N-Out? I think In-N-Out's, re- like, look, In-N-Out is a very interesting exploration in toxic masculinity. Right. 
but through a 90s lens. Yeah. And it's so weird looking at it through a 90s lens because it's not quite sure how to handle. It's 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 really like trying to figure it out along the way. So like the the letterbox description of this movie is a Midwestern teacher questions his sexuality after a former student makes a comment about him at the Academy Awards. And it's about a teacher who loves English, loves poetry, like teaches that as a class. And one of his students ends up getting nominated for an Academy Award. And when he wins his Academy Award, spoiler alert, everybody, when he wins his Academy Award, he basically is like, I want to thank my gay teacher and calls him out by name. (laughs) And this teacher, meanwhile, is sitting at home with his fiance, his woman fiance (laughs) on the couch, like watching, going, what just happened? Like, he was so blind. He's so blindsided by this former student just being like, my gay teacher is so inspirational to me. I'm going to thank him like that on the Academy Awards. Uh, and that kind of kicks off the story of this whole town suddenly being really obsessed with, like, oh, why are you engaged to a woman? Like, is this t- story true? Like, why didn't you tell him? Like, it's this whole, it turns into this whole fiasco where suddenly he's got press showing up and all of his, like, family and friends and everyone are trying to figure out what's going on. Meanwhile, he's just sitting there having no idea where any of this is coming from. And then as the movie goes on, he kind of starts to figure out, like, oh, maybe there is somewhere that this is coming from. Uh, (laughs) And it's, again, it's through a a 90s movie, so it's pretty imperfect in a lot of ways. But (laughs) I think it's fun. I think it's charming enough to, like, have fun with it. Um, again, if you view it through like a nineties lens of them trying to explore what masculinity is, um, and what the perception of being effeminate is. And like, you know, it's like, oh, he, of course he's an English teacher and he loves poetry and he must be gay. And he, what was, um, Barbara Streisand, like he, (laughs) he goes, he has this bachelor party with all of all of his friends and they give him like a, is it a vinyl? I think it's a Barbara Streisand. It's a funny girl vinyl, I think, that they give him. (laughs) And he's like, guys, what is it? Like, why are you doing this? And then they're like, oh, yeah, well. Then they start having this debate about, like, Barbara Streisand and her movies. And he's like, guys, why are we talking about this? And then one's like, oh, yeah, Yentl's actually terrible. And he's like, excuse me, what did you say? (laughs) But it's just stuff like that where it's like. It's stereotypes. It's a big but it's, stereotype, yeah. but it's like kind of funny. Um, but so it's it was enjoyable. I think it would be an interesting concept to re-explore now. So the do you know what it's so I okay, don't. Do you know who the actor? So Matt Dillon is playing an actor. Yeah, yeah. Do you know who it is? I don't know who he's playing, no. It's Tom Hanks. Oh, um, when he won for Philadelphia. Now the real story is he had permission. It, yeah, he didn't yeah. out him, uh-huh. but that's what inspired it. Was when it was when when Tom Hanks won for Philadelphia, he named as a teacher and said one of the finest game, like one of the finest gay men who inspired me in this movie, and so they went. They took that concept for the for this movie and went. What happens if he I'm, wasn't? I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna lie. That's kind of iconic and the most chaotic, like energy thing that I personally love. Like that is kind of fantastic because that would also be the most Hollywood thing ever, too, yeah. right? Where you're like trying to be progressive and be like, "Oh, my gay teacher, I love him so much," and then it's like, 
what <laughs> what just happened um so watch those two movies then i totally swung in a completely different direction and watched a 2023 release called sharper um it has a pretty insane cast as julianne moore sebastian stan justice smith john lithgow um yeah. it's yeah it's pretty it's pretty stacked um it's a very i kind of want to rewatch it because it's um it's a lot it's a lot to take in it's like this dark thriller kind of movie um it's about a wealthy family um and like I don't want to get too much into it honestly like i don't i recommend going into this movie knowing the least amount that you can possibly go into this movie just because it has a lot of twists and turns and a lot of reveals that i do think actually pay off really well um but it's it's uh yeah it's it's got a very dark tone it's about people with a lot of money it's some underground shady crap is happening in it. Um, and I recommend everyone check it out just because um, I would just, I'd love to hear what people like have to say about it. Like I'd love to have a conversation about what people think. Um, I'm really not going to say a lot about Sharper because I just kind of want to leave that. I want people to go watch it. Uh, and I'm not doing like a spoiler alert <laughs> segment for Sharper. We're not doing that. Um, but so that got added to my 2023 list. I watched a really horrific movie called The Bachelor. <laughs> um, and I didn't know this movie existed. And then I just like found it on a streaming service somewhere. And I was like, yeah, all right. <clears throat> so it's a movie from 1999. And it stars Chris O'Donnell and Renee Zellweger and Brooke Shields. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, and James Cromwell. And Ed Asner. Um, it's, got, it's got some people in it. Uh, it's so bad. It's really, really bad. It's basically a story about, so the character that Chris O'Donnell plays, he proposes to Renee Zellweger, who's his girlfriend, and he totally botches the, pro- he, like, he makes the worst proposal ever. He st- brings him to a nice restaurant and he's like, oh, well, you win. Is basically the gist of like he's like you win and she's like I win I win what in what context do I win like what do you t- like what and his his reasoning is basically like oh I was never the guy that was gonna get married but like yada yada so like basically torn between the two like you win and she's like that is the worst proposal and that is not what is not happening we're not doing that um, and so she kind of like goes off and is like you need to figure your crap out because that's terrible and she has a plan to then go away for work um i think to like greece or something for a week just to not be about it he on the other hand has no idea what's like he's trying to call her trying to apologize whatever and then his grandfather ends up dying and they watch a videotape of his will and his will is like you don't get i think it's something stupid like a hundred he's left him like a hundred million dollars or something and he's like, if, but if you're not married by your 30th birthday, you don't get anything. And his 30th birthday is 48 hours from then after he's just botched this proposal. So then the whole movie is him 
like kind of trying to get in contact with her and then giving up because he's running out of time and he just like goes through all of his exes to try and pick like who he can who he's gonna like propose to and get them to marry in 48 hours and he's just going through like a whole list of them and there's like all these stipulations he finally finds one and then there's all these stipulations to it where they have to be married for at least 10 years um they have to have a child within five years like they uh, they ha- they can only spend like one uh, night a month apart. Like there's this whole like thing, <laughs> and and it's just and then like the friends end up like taking out an ad in the newspaper at one point to like see if anyone be interested. <laughs> it's it is and then eventually like he gets back with Renee in the end and they get married and whatever. But it is the execution of this movie. First of all, the concept is terrible, mm-hmm. but also the execution of the movie is terrible and they have no chemistry and it's just really bad. So that was uh, a thing that I watched, which, you know, you win some, you lose some. And that was, I certainly didn't win that one. That's for sure. What I did win is watching Roxanne because Steve Martin is always a winner. Um, He's awesome and funny and great. And I realize I need to watch more Steve Martin films just because I don't watch enough of them. Mm. Um, And he's such an interesting actor. But I watched that. And that one's cute. Like, yeah. it's it's Sierra de Bergerac, essentially. Um, and it's his ver- his rom-com version of a Sierra de Bergerac story. Um, and it's cute. If you guys haven't checked it out, I would recommend checking it out. If you're just looking for something that's kind of lighthearted and silly. And, and it's so, like, you watch it and you go, man. As much as I love, like, bad rom-coms, it's just, you watch him in it. And he's just so effortless. Like, a lot of male leads in, like, smaller rom-coms, and even female leads as well, they just don't have it. Mm. Like, it's just... It's hard to put into words, but you just watch him in in any movie. But even a movie like this, and you're just like, he's just... It's just there, you know? I think there's nothing more painful than watching a good rom-com because afterwards you're just like, this is what they all should be! Well, but that's what I, I was watching this going. He, like... Why are male leads? Why are we not Steve Martining anymore? What's hap- What is happening? What's going on? The Martin isn't Steving. Like this, something's wrong. We need to reset the system. Um, so that one was cute. I was really happy to have watched that one. Then I watched the middle installment to my new favorite trilogy that I didn't know was going to be my favorite trilogy of all time. Um, I watched The Artist for the first time. And now my favorite trilogy is Singing in the Rain, The Artist in Babylon. Um, I need to figure out what to call it. I'm still working on a legendary the singer, iconic. The Babylon. The singer Babylon. So, right. yeah. So I watched The Artist and I really liked it a lot. Um, I was watching it going, going, oh, yeah, okay. So this is the version of Babylon the Academy likes. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Makes sense. That tracks. Um, but no, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, I think it's just really solidly directed, really, really well made. Um, it's so engaging um, and so captivating. And I feel like that's so difficult to do in a movie just in general. But doing it now or even in you know 2011 when it came out, but 2011 now to like a modern audience, it's so tough to get people to even read subtitles, let alone to watch a silent film that's going to require all of their attention mm. at any given time. It's hard to get people to watch foreign films because they don't like subtitles. Um, so this is kind of, this 
insane artistic feat where you're putting out a silent film that has title cards and sometimes subtitles and you're trying to get an audience engaged and emotionally interested. Um, and I just feel like it really achieves that. And then I feel like the payoff at the end yeah. is just incredible. It deserved best like, picture. For, it, the, it, it deserved best picture alone for the payoff the at the end. The payoff at the end. I need to watch this movie. Is, it's, it's not. Uh, here's the thing. It's not even that big of no, a payoff. No, no, no. It's not. It's not this big, dramatic, insane like, ending. twist story no, no, no. thing. It's just, yeah. It, it's just like you, you watch the ending and you're like, of course the movie was leading yeah. to that moment. Yeah. Like it's it's just incredible. Especially I w- knowing who the actor and director. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. knowing knowing the the film. Yeah. I'm not just, I'm not gonna yeah. go into what it actually is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like sitting there and seeing the payoff at the ending, and you're just like, it's so simple, but it's mm. so perfect. And yep, I totally get it. I get give it all the awards. <laughs> it sounds great. Um, but I'm also a sucker for movies like this, obviously, when mm. I'm like Yep, Babylon, <laughs> singing in the rain, <laughs> La La Land, let's go. Um, so yeah, I watched The Artist, and then I watched all of the Academy Award speeches for The Artist, because <laughs> I do that. <laughs> when I'm like, if I've finally seen a movie I hadn't seen, I go back and I'm like, you go. I love <laughs> I love seeing people get awards, and like, Jean Dujardin, his award speeches for that year, like the BAFTA yeah. and the Oscar um, and the Golden Globe, he is so just charming. Like it's, he was so excited. It's funny because like it with with ten years removed from or eleven years removed from the artist. I remember in twenty eleven, I was I liked the artist. I didn't love it. I, I kind of was where I am with everything everywhere. Um, and like because I you appreciated it yeah, more than you I liked it. really loved the Descendants. Okay. I really I love the Descendants. That. That's that's that was the one that I was really rooting for, and so like the artist became this villain. Yeah, and now with eleven years removed, and and I wasn't watching it, but I was like in you were, and like, out watching me watching. Yeah, yeah, I was like in and out doing other things, and then came in, and then I would sit there and just stare at it for five minutes, and then keep going and doing other things. And then you sat down and watched the end. Yeah, because I just love the ending of the movie, and I, I just like yeah. I get it. Like I like with being removed from it now, and I, I'm just yeah. His 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 performance is so good though. It, it really is, and it's it's one of those cool moments too, where you see this actor who's not really big in the American consciousness, like mainstream for films and television, but you get this moment with this incredible artist and actor who, um, who gets kind of his flowers. For being just this titan of French cinema mm. and this titan of like French media and and his craft that is so revered somewhere in the world of film, not so much in the U.S. at least at that point. Yeah. Um, so that was like really cool to me too. Where it's again, it's one of those things where you kind of get the the leakage of like the foreign film coming in and mm. being like, see, we can appreciate other things too sometimes. <laughs> so that's. Cool. Also, shout out to James Cromwell, who I think just kills it mm. in this movie. He's and so, the dog. The dog is also <laughs> the other superstar. I'm kind of upset he didn't get an award of any kind. <laughs> they did bring him on stage, though. Yeah, they did. Which was hilarious. Um, so I watched The Artist, which was great. Guys, I promise we're getting we're getting through the stuff. I promise. <laughs> we're almost there. I told you, this was Taylor's version segment this week where I've watched all of the things. <laughs> I've watched everything. <laughs> So I actually got to watch three of the 
short films, the animated short films that are nominated for the Academy Awards. I sat down and watched My Year of Dicks, uh, The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse, and an ostrich told me the world is fake, and I think I believe it. Those are the ones I could find. Um, And I'm, like, actually mad that I watched them because now I'm going to be really invested and really... I'm going to be so upset when the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse wins. (laughs) Now that I've seen my year of dicks and an ostrich told me the world is fake and I believe it. Because... All right, I'm just going to call it The Boy. I'm not going to keep saying the title. (laughs) That's fine. Watching The Boy, it's the one that has the studio backing. Like, it was produced by BBC and Bad Robot, and the voice actor... Like, it has real, quote-unquote, real voice actors. Like, it has... um, Established names. Idris Elba and Tom Hollander, and, like... It's Mm. it's that one, where, like, it was made for this category, basically, to win this category, essentially, Mm. which is really annoying. Um, and it's, there's nothing bad about it, but you can tell that it's like, it's produced. It's like that. Yeah. Um, it's trying to be the other two are like rough around the edges because they're student films or they're like, you're, you know, they're cheaper movies. Like they're cheap. They didn't have the budget. This one you can tell is trying to look like it's rough around the edges. Like it's trying to fit into like, and it's, you know, it's also pulling from the, the book that it's based on, but it just feels like. It's one of those ones where it's like you show it to a kid because it's like has this cute little message and it's like teaching like life lessons and it's like it's fine. Like, but, you know, I would much rather see it go to one of the other films that didn't have the budget. They like this is like one of their first projects they've done or they're straight out of school or like it's it's they are the ones that need the exposure and they're the ones that like this would help more than anything and it just they they've done it for the right reasons like it's like my year of dicks is so cool as a story the the animation that it goes through like the different styles that it goes through throughout is really really cool like it's just so stylized and so unique and so interesting um and it's just about this girl this 15 year old girl in the 90s in the outskirts of Houston who is just desperately trying to find someone to take her virginity. <laughs> like that's what it's about. <laughs> and it is so cool. Like it's, she's like finds this one guy to start out. It's five chapters. And she goes through these chapters of trying to have sex with somebody. And like, there's this one guy and it's like, Oh, you know, he's this cool, like skateboarding, like guy. And he's got like whatever. And, she like throws he's like, Oh, can we throw a party at your house? And they come over and like she's like, uh, oh, you know, let's have sex, whatever, and it just doesn't work out. Like she goes through that, and then there's another one where she tries and it just doesn't work out, and she figures out that he was like a Nazi. <laughs> and like it's just like it's so unique and interesting, and like you just don't see stuff like that as much. Um, and it just feels so personal as well. Um, so that I would love to see get some love. And then, you know, the ostrich one is really interesting, not only because it's stop motion, but because of the perspective that it uses, like the way that it's framed in camera. Um, and again, like any form of stop motion animation is like <laughs> just... It's kind of a miracle that it ever comes together because it's so much work and so much goes into it. And 
the you know the story of it the idea of trying to process like is like our reality real like is there something else like in control of what's going on with us like what it's just such a I, I think it's high concept. I know it's not new. Like, I know it's something that gets explored a lot. But those two, I feel like, just are so interesting and have so much perspective and have so much personality. And, like, you can tell so much of these people, like, went into it. And then you have the boy where you can tell it's like studio backed and it has the famous voice actors and you're just like, it just doesn't feel as personal. It doesn't feel as authentic. It doesn't. And again, there's nothing wrong with it. It just feels like it was made to like try and win this category basically, which Mm -hmm. is really shitty. So I would encourage everyone to go try and find some, find them. If you can watch them, my year of dicks is on Hulu. Um, the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse is on Apple TV plus, um, an ostrich told me the world is fake and I think I believe it. I just found online. Um, the others, I'm not sure. I haven't found those yet. Um, but I would encourage everyone to check them out. The last two that I watched that I'm going to talk about, I watched two of the documentary feature nominees. I had already seen Fire of Love, which I talked about a couple podcast episodes ago. Um, the other two that I checked out, I watched All That Breathes, which is kind of one of the coolest like cinematography document like it the cinematography in this documentary is really cool you can tell that they really put a lot into making aesthetic choices about it um it's just really beautifully shot um but it's basically about um these guys in new delhi who have started this animal sanctuary basically um in their basement, they have like no money. They're trying to get federal funding and international funding to actually start this animal hospital. Um, cause there's this species of bird, they're called kites and they are just falling out of the sky. Like because the pollution in new Delhi is so bad and is getting worse and worse. Like these birds just keep getting sick. Um, and so they devote so much of their time and their own money Um, you know, bringing them in and treating them and then releasing them back out into the world. Um, And it goes into how important these birds are to the ecosystem there and how they've um, adjusted to having a habitat that's part of a city and what it means for them to be there. And then it goes into, you know, the kind of violence that's starting to spread in the city as well. And it's basically treating it almost as like this pre-apocalyptic kind of situation they're dealing with where it's like nature is kind of a mess and there's violence everywhere. Um, but we're still trying to make this animal sanctuary. Um, so it's really interesting. Um, it does get pretty heavy at times, but it's just shot so beautifully. So I really enjoyed that a lot. And any other year, maybe it would have a shot in hell, but listen, there's no way that Navalny is not winning this award. So Navalny is all of the documentary features this year. Fire of Love is the easiest one to watch. It's the most <laughs> uplifting and that's and it's about yeah. a couple that gets killed by a volcano, right? But it all goes downhill from there. So Navalny is um about the poor son of a bitch that Vladimir Putin tried to assassinate. <laughs> That's trying to basically take over 
Um, he he wants to be the president of Russia. He wants Putin to be out oh of there. God. Um, so it's about the guy who survived an assassination attempt um, in August of 2020. Um, it goes through them figuring out um, that he was poisoned with a lethal nerve agent, like figuring out who did it and how they did it when the whole Russian government and media was saying, oh, it was like he took drugs and it was because he's whatever, whatever. Like it was all... They, any excuse in the book they can make up about him being a deviant, basically, and it's just something he ingested and not the fact that they, like, tried to kill him. So it, it's pretty it's pretty wild um, because it does start before, like, they have footage um, before he's poisoned, essentially. Like, they've got, and then they've got footage through the whole process. They've got um, people they're talking to about trying to figure out how, they can even if they can even prove that he was poisoned because he gets brought to a Russian hospital and they won't let the wife see him and they won't let any family see him and they won't let him be airlifted to the German hospital that the you know the German government's like bring him here and we'll like treat him he can stay here and they like won't release him to anyone um, and they won't give out like they're like oh yeah we've done our checks and there's no poison to be found here like and everyone's like yeah okay totally believe that uh yep that's some unbiased information right there but i think my favorite my favorite part and also the worst part and the reason why like why did i watch this documentary um is it really goes into what the russian dark web is like and how you can get the information to figure out like who's been calling who and like who like it uh, you can buy the information of like what people are listed as in people's phone contacts and like mm-hmm. who who they can be in contact with and they just go go through this whole thing um and it's just pretty it's pretty intensive um and it's really you watch it and you go this is kind of extraordinary because there's a point in the documentary where he has miraculously survived being poisoned by this nerve agent that is so lethal and he survived and he's rehabilitated and like, he's so him still like, it's almost like nothing has happened to him and he puts all his effort into, you know, talking to journalists and collecting information and trying to make this story out of what actually happened and corroborating sources and, all this stuff, and then at the end of the day, he still wants to go back because that's his home, and he wants to fight for a better Russia, and he wants to... His work isn't done, and instead of, you know, being in asylum somewhere with his family and getting to live out his life in this quiet little German town, he goes back, um, and he's still... He's in jail now, still. Mm. Like, and people are worried that he's never going to get out, like he's going to die there. Um, so it's a pretty intense documentary and just because of how timely it is with the current events with Russia, um, and everything like that, and and because it's a good documentary as well, but I just think there's no way in hell that with where we are politically (laughs) right now, like it's, that's going to be the thing. So, uh, yeah, I, that's what I've been watching guys. You're welcome. (laughs) That took about six hours. Um, yeah, that's good. We actually dived into a lot of the movies that are around. Um, 
I finally actually watched a movie. Jacob! That we're not covering. Oh, my God. It's only taken me three months, <laughs> but I finally saw After Sun. Uh, yeah, so uh, originally could have seen this back in November. I didn't. October. October. I'm pretty sure I saw yeah, it. Yeah, no. Well, yeah, yeah. It was October. Oh, it was Halloween. Because I. F- yeah, I it saw was, it on Halloween. It yeah. was Halloween because I had to fly to Sydney the next morning, and that's why I didn't go. <laughs> um, this movie's good. This movie's really it's good. Right. It's really good. It was not what I was expecting. Really? At all. Okay, so I knew. So, so Jacob didn't. Okay, Jacob knew way less than I did going okay. into this movie. I knew nothing going did you not in. not listen to like anyone talk about it? I've tried to avoid. Like, Especially because like two of your closest friends are okay, obsessed. I know, but to your both of your credit, you keep talking about Paul Meskel. Not the actual, like, the, not the plot actual or movie like the- plot or it. Uh, so all I have heard, all okay. Here is what I knew going in: that Paul Mescal is amazing and deserves his Oscar nomination, which I agree, and that it is emotionally devastating because Blake won't keep talking about how emotionally devastating it, it is, is at yeah. the end, and it is. I will give you that it is definitely emotionally devastating. But I didn't. I straight up did not know it was a father daughter movie. Yeah, he knew nothing about it. Going in, I didn't know it was a father-daughter movie because no one has said that. I feel like it's because we – I feel like no one wants to talk about exactly why. Yes. Because people – we want people to just experience it for themselves. And I'm – and I will say I'm glad Mm. because that was something going in that I'm like, okay, cool. Um, But it wasn't – the movie itself wasn't what I was expecting because one uh, is – Paul Meskel, I am shocked the Academy nominated this performance. I, know. I am shocked. I did not. Like I said on this podcast, I was like, it's going to be a critic styling. He's not going to get nominated as much as I want him to. I can't. why I was so shocked. Not only did they nominate, they nominated two performances this, like, that are this subtle. year that are subtle as hell. Yeah. Which yeah. They, well, honestly, I would argue three. What are those three? Um, living. Living. Yeah. I would argue three. Bill, Bill Nye. Bill, what's the third? Colin. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. which is pretty unique. Mm. Um. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, but like, we we were saying, what's Paul's clip going to be? It's going to be. Um, <laughs> there isn't one. There's so many, and it's also, but also, there isn't one because there's no like. Epic, like yeah, in every, in, yeah, in every like performance, like with um, oh, who well, was with, it? King Richard, supporting actress, um, the wife yeah, of King Richard. Yeah, you could. There was a scene, and it was like yeah. that's the Oscar clip. Like and, you can tell, but yeah. like with this, it's just so. Well, even like even it, with Colin, even Col- Colin, it's, Colin's, it's Colin's scene. yeah, Colin's is the blow up scene. Yeah. Like every yeah. single one of these performances has that one scene. I, Paul's, and, I, and, I have and to no. Be, and to be clear. We're not saying that as a bad thing. No, no, no this no, is not a bad no, thing. No, no, no this is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. This is this is uh, it's why I love this performance so much, and, and it's and like I really do love the way this movie is made. Um, I think it's it hits you in in waves. Um, the first forty five minutes is a little tough when you don't know where it's going or what it's trying to do because it's a little disjointed and it's a little 
where are you going with this? And then, and then it clicks and then you go, oh, oh, okay. No, I get what you're doing. Yeah, um, and, and like, and then, and the scene, there's a scene later in it where, where it makes you click what is happening and you're like, oh, okay. That's what this movie's about. Mm. Cool. All right. I get it. Now we're on board. Yeah. yeah and, and, and like, so I'd be curious to see what it feels like a second time. Um, yeah, a second time you pick up on little tiny details yeah. along the way that mm. really make it shine. Um, I think she is incredible. Oh, God, yeah. I am shocked she didn't get I more. I just love that that's like like when Charlotte Wells was talking about how she inter- she interviewed, she auditioned like 800 girls for the yeah. role and then like just chose her because – she was just this energy that Sophie needed, but also like could like hide that and make it like in the fact that it's like her first performance. Yeah, this is her first thing. It's just oh, she's so epic. Yeah, I, I I'm shocked she hasn't been in more conversations mm. around. It's just because she's like. Literally yeah, like ten years old. Yeah, no, and that's I feel fair. like they the Oscars need to bring back the like young actress. Yeah. they really <laughs> the do category because there's so many young performances that mm. just don't get recognized because they're not old enough. Yeah, but this is uh, no, I I really do think this is a is a really good movie and just one that has stayed with me in the week since we've watched it. Um, yeah, I I really enjoyed this. Uh, Taylor, you finally got to see it as well. I did. Um. And I knew, so I, I knew going into it that it was a father-daughter story, but I didn't know um, really anything about, like, what kind of, I guess, lens we were going to see it through, like, what their journey exactly was going to be. Um, I knew that it was going to be emotional, not just because that's what everyone we talked to has kind of said, but I did hear Charlotte Wells briefly talk about um you know, the the fact that it is a father-daughter story and her process, like what it was like for her to go through casting her father and casting herself. Mm. Um, and I really think that I need to watch it a second time just because it's... I forgot who said it to her. She was doing like a roundtable or something with some other people, but someone said to her, um, it's like you've created a new way to like tell a movie like you've created a new Mm. medium of like how to tell a story yeah um a new language of film almost in the way that she structured it and i think that my brain just can't fully process it um with one watch like there's just so much to take in and there's so much um detail that she put into it and it's something that i think I need to like figure out it's it is like a language. I need to figure out how to read it and I mm. need to figure out how to understand it. Um and I left the theater just really feeling like I needed to to sit with it because mm. it is so it's so personal and it's so it never tries to to guard itself and it never tries to um, it's just, it's not shiny. Like, it's just not, it, it's honestly in my mind, like it makes me think of the Fablemans. Like it, it makes me think of 
what the Fablemans actually is versus what people think that it is. Like they think it's this shiny like Hollywood eyes. Hollywood eyes like movies are movies, like the movies. Mm. It it makes me feel like I want to I want her to sit down with Spielberg and talk about them making the Fablemans and After Sun because yeah. to me it like it feels like that. Like I felt almost the same way I felt watching the Fablemans where you go this is someone who's just like bearing themselves and their you know their experience as a kid with their family and letting themselves you know either deal with the trauma of it or come to some sort of healing or whatever it may be but they're they're letting themselves go through it hmm. um and we're really seeing the product of someone who's not holding back anymore about any of that and i think because of Paul Mescal and Frankie. Um, I think the, the screenplay is great and the directing is fantastic, but those two just lend so much to why this film works so well. Like their chemistry together is amazing. Mm. Um, they're both so emotionally present through the whole movie. Um, and it is something that the longer you sit with it, I think the more you just start to like get it. Like it starts to sink in and you mm. start to feel it at least for me, because at first it was really hard for me to figure out kind of, it was a lot to take in. Mm. Um, and I did, like I said, I definitely want to sit down and, and watch it again just because I feel like there's so much to pick up on. There's so many little details and so many little things, um, that you're just, it's hard to like take all of it in at once. But I do think, um, I think it's great. I think it's really awesome that Paul was recognized by the Academy. I think that's really great. Um, it makes me feel like maybe we're going to start to get recognition for actors who don't have to wait 20 or 30 years to get their first nomination. Mm -hmm. Like, I know we kind of got that with like Jennifer Lawrence and Timothy Chalamet and like, but I think we're starting to maybe get mm -hmm. to that point where the Academy will see a performance and just be like, this isn't about waiting in line anymore. This isn't about like, mm. you know, it doesn't have to be this big showy performance. It doesn't have to be a certain thing. Um, and because after sun kind of, you know, is under the radar in terms of any other recognition, like it's not really getting love in any other categories. I think it's great to just have kind of Paul as the representative of people being like, oh, you know, who's nominated for like an Academy Award? Oh, After Sun. I don't think I've heard of that. Mm. And then all of a sudden people have heard of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is people kind of joke about it and I make jokes about it all the time. But the like, oh, it's just an honor to be nominated for a film like After Sun. That's like, it's, it is. Well, You're I mean, like, yeah. You know, like it. And I know even before the nominations, you were like, we are seeing this movie. But, like, that was really – that would have gotten a lot of people over the edge to go, like, okay, no, I need to go see it because this yeah. is the thing that kicked Tom Cruise out. Like, you know, like, this was the performance that knocked Tom Cruise out of the nomination. So, Or or, or, or just, like, you know, you everyone know, was like, oh, who's that, ran who's that yeah. random last spot going to? Yeah. And then when Paul got in, it's like, oh, okay, well, I was thinking about maybe seeing After Sun before. Now I got to yeah. – now I got to do it. Yeah. Like yeah. – but um, like there's some movies where an Oscar nomination's huge, and this is one of them. And it's yeah. Uh, speaking of, we had the SAGs this week. We did. That was interesting. Um, 
I, I actually, we had two big awards, like two massive awards, uh, and uh, Jacob has to put up the white flag. Uh, everything, yes, everything, everywhere. Too. Congratulations on your best picture, Oscar. Um, Let's go. Let's yeah. Go. The PGA was the thing that sealed it. Sags I knew was coming. Sags I knew the 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 suite was coming because the actor everyone has said for months actors have loved this movie. They were win- the the acting guild has loved this movie. I said last week PGA was the thing that the Top Gun needed. It didn't get it. The other big thing about PGA is it is the only one of the guilds that has the same voting format as the Oscars and everything everywhere still won. Mm-hmm. My theory and the theory I have behind this, and this is not an attack on everything everywhere. I am a, I've now gone full 180. I, I would love to see everything everywhere win all of this at this point because I just think it's if Top Gun isn't going to do it, it's the movie of the year to do it. That being said... Um, there isn't a number two. Every other year that we've had the 50-50 race, there's a number two. Last year was Power of the Dog versus Coda. The year before, like, there's always that, like, you know, Coda had the last minute surge to come in. You know, Power of the Dog was winning for three months. And then in the last two weeks, Coda came in to, to take it. There hasn't been that number two movie that's come in. Everyone's saying All Quiet, maybe. It's not All Quiet. All Quiet does not have the resources, does not have, has not had any of the precursors to get up to it. it it's not the one coming in late. What was the second for 2021, as in Nomad Land year? Uh, that's okay, but that's my point. Like, Nomad Land was the one, and yeah. it was just the favorite, and it was always going to win. There was there was never any doubt. Nomad Land wasn't yeah. going to win Best Picture. Um, I just asked that out of curiosity. Yeah, no, but like Parasite was nineteen seventeen. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the but like the years that you have the shocks, Moonlight and La La Land was there was a number there was a clear number two. Yeah. It was La La Land was the one that people were going to vote for as number one. But what was the thing that number two and what was the thing that could win on preferential? Yeah. I think because of because there are going to be people, and I've said this this has been my thing of what I have been saying of why I haven't felt everything everywhere was going to win is because there are people within the academy where everything everywhere is going to be seventh or eighth on their preferential. It is not going to be one and two. And I think that's going to impact it. The problem is there hasn't been the clear number two of even the people who have everything everywhere at number one, they have this film at number two. two. So when the people who have everything everywhere at number seven or eight, their number one is the number two movie. But there's no number two yet. There isn't that because it's between Banshees, Fablemans, Top Gun, I'd even argue Elvis, and and All Quiet. Like, yeah. And then it's splitting. And it's just all over the place. There Mm. hasn't been that this is the number two, this is its best competitor because Fablemans fell off a cliff. I'd argue Banshees has fallen off a cliff. Oh, God, yeah, for sure. But, but like, Colin not winning BAFTA destroyed any and all chance of that movie Mm. winning Best Picture. Um, we'll find out the Writers Guild tomorrow, I think. It, it's I either think tomorrow so, yeah. or Saturday. I, yeah. I can't remember for us. But um, 
And if it loses the Writers Guild, it's over. And then, you know, I, I like I said, Top Gun, Top Gun missing out on PGAs, that's killed it. Mm-hmm. For me personally, like yeah. I, I just I can't see Top Gun winning at this point. And then all pretty much every award show has shut out Fablemans. Yeah, at this point. Um, so yeah, it's. I agree with you. I think if there was a clear number two that everyone had kind of rallied behind, this would be a conversation. Mm-hmm. But that that just hasn't happened this year, which I think is. Personally, I think it's a good thing because we've had so many good movies this year that people just can't agree on what the number two is yeah. because it's just like everything's been so good. Um, but yeah, that's that's to everything everywhere's benefit. Yeah, for sure. It's and that's what I think. And it's not an insult to everything everywhere. Like, oh, you're only winning this because no, no one no, can no. agree. It's more. That's just the that is what happens with voting. That is just what happens with a preferential voting system. And number two, and when you've got a split vote, the number one pick, it's it's the more fair one. The one that's going to get the most number one votes is going to win most likely because there isn't a consensus number two. Mm. And so I think, yeah, I think everything everywhere with the most number one votes is going to be the thing that wins best picture. Because yeah, Oscar voting open today. So yes, well, that's uh, it has officially vote uh, started today. Yes. What I love though. So we're all in agreement. Are we all in agreement? Best pitches, pretty much a lock. I mean, it's never a lock. I don't okay, trust not, the right, academy. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Hashtag, hashtag don't trust I'm the academy. I'm so like, it's happening, it's happening, but I'm very okay. scared. Are we all in agreement? Time. It's not a race, at least at this point. That, it, that it there is, would have to be a genuine shock. Like, yes. it wouldn't be, yeah. an, it's not an actual race. race. It's yeah. like something would have to come in where we we're like, where the hell did that come from? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There are at least four legitimate races in yeah. in, mm, in the okay, top Okay, 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 okay. Before we get into this, though, before we get into this, though, because we're going to, like, this is going to go from SAG talk to Oscar talk True. real quick, and I actually want to talk about yep. the SAGs. They are one of the only legit, they are, you know what? They were like, I see everyone else. Nope. Guess what we're going to nominate for Outstanding Performance by a Cast in a Motion Picture? That's right. Babylon. Everyone else can fuck <laughs> off. The Babylon Hive is not Anyway, dead. the actors yield and knows what's We are up, still here. So just got to get that out there. Um, well, actually, yeah. Well, the, the reason I was going to move on to the Oscar race is because of what happened at SAG. I think SAG has officially set we have a race in three acting categories mm-hmm. At, mm-hmm. right now. I cannot remember the last time we had a race in three. No, me neither. Like, yeah. actor is a genuine race now. I, I think Colin's fallen off to third. I agree. I think it's between, it's between Austin and Brendan. Yeah, yeah I think, sure. which is funny because it's always been that from day one. Like, it, it's mm. been that since. But it hasn't, though. No. Well, like, okay, people so, have always said it was between, between Brendan and Colin and then yeah. Austin was third. Uh, sorry, yes. Yeah. I, I'm more meaning yeah. back in September when it's when the race started in September. That's what it was. And then Colin came in and was like, oh, and then Banshees came out and they're like, oh, Colin's in the race. Colin's probably the favorite. The sun came out and everyone went, oh, Hugh Jackman's not in the race. I just find it fascinating that we've now gone back to it's between Austin and Fraser. Like, that's the race. This is where we're, this is where we're at. I cannot tell you right now who's winning. Who's Me winning. neither. Because they did the thing where the BAFTA and the SAG split. Yep. And... I just straight up, this is a coin toss for yeah, me. I'm gonna, I don't know. I, I, a part of me, part of me thinks it's Fraser because of um, 
because of legacy, the it, legacy, it's time. I think there's a part of it for that. The other part of me goes, it's Elvis. Because and... biopic. <laughs> yeah, but also you got to remember that the whale has like no nominations in anything else. Uh, yeah, and that's <laughs> the, Elvis and that's the other thing, the best, yeah. picture, the, 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 the best picture element. Yes, and that's, yeah. that is another thing. And that is, this race is it's fascinating. fascinating. And the stupid part is it's the third most fascinating out yeah, of the I three. Know. I know. <laughs> Okay, for so we just gave SAG credit for Babylon. We have to tear them down a little bit for a female actor in a leading role. Just a little bit. Yeah. But because if we're going to clown on the Academy for it, we also have to clown on SAGs for it. Mm. What the hell is Ana de Armas doing in this category? <laughs> what I don't the know. I just look, love that as movie. Somewhat, uh, look, as... You're the one person in this who's seen the movie. Unfortunately, <laughs> that is the case. Yes. I unfortunately yes. refuse to watch that movie. Yes, uh, that is the correct decision. However, um, yeah, I may I, say I, it I, I put point. myself through it, um, and it was a bad choice. <laughs> but I now I feel like I can talk about it without just sounding like a hater. A hater. The yeah. internet. Like, like, yeah. Yeah. like I've actually said, I've watched it. I put myself through it so that I can have a legitimate, you know, quote unquote legitimate opinion about <laughs> this. And uh, absolutely not. Mm. Like, the thing is, she's not particular, like, she's not bad in the movie, but she's not Marilyn. Yeah. Like, what? which is kind of the whole movie. Like, they just stapled Marilyn Monroe's name on the movie without it actually, like, really being about her it's like the torture porn version of her life that just gets to be this like tragedy that like gives her no agency as a human being for any circumstance like it's that and she again she's not bad in it but like their direct the director is giving her such a superficial like version a watered down superficial version of a character of a real person Mm. (laughs) like and then that's what she's having to act. And so it just comes off as like this weird, I don't yeah. know. It's it's almost like an uncanny valley kind of thing where yeah. you're just like, I don't know. Um, so that offends me on <laughs> basically every level because I love her. I think she's a great actress. I just don't understand the, it, it makes me go like, it, it, this is, like, the conversation that I hate because it's, like, everyone's, like, oh, Hollywood just, like, loves awarding, like, biopics, like, even if, like, they're not good. And it's, like, <sighs> part of me is, like, I agree with that because they're, you know, they they gave the Academy Award to Rami Malek and they're nominating Ana Darmus. And it's, like, oh, like, maybe not. But then you have performances like Jamie Foxx and mm. Austin Butler and you're, like, like it's hard to sit there and like defend it it's such a it's literally the academy is like giving us both in the same year they're like you okay you can have austin butler but that also means you have to have (laughs) True. sorry that's just how one for you one for me around here and i'm like that's disgusting but fine And you and also i'll never forgive them for what they did taron edgerton so we're still we're still angry about that well you do mention best actress Michelle Yeoh wins at SAGs and has officially made this a race. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, the BAFTA SAG split. Yeah. This is officially a race. I And again, we have known the acting guild, the 
We have known that the actors group of the Academy loved everything everywhere. That's been known for months. Mm -hmm. Didn't know they loved it this much. And that's what shocked me the most. Um, Because obviously, look, SAG doesn't always translate to, to an Oscar win, but it is a big step. Yeah. Um, and that's made, and to me, that's made this the second most fascinating race. Um, I am glad it's going to be one of the last ones because we're going to sit there and through yep. the entire show be like, what does this mean? What does this mean? <laughs> like everything everywhere is going to make it. We're going to like everything everywhere is either going to get a surprise win or a surprise loss somewhere. And we're going to be like, oh, oh, that's it. Okay. That's going to call actress. That's going to call. It's going to be that meme of Charlie day, just with the like 67 (laughs) cups of coffee and the whole board behind him. And that's exactly what we're going to be like. And then comes to me, (gasps) the most interesting acting race of the year, best supporting actress. Where the hell is it going? There are three. There are legitimately three that it could be. Yeah, I agree. And I do not know which one it is at all at this point. I uh, don't either. I um, if, I would not be surprised if it went to Angela, Carrie, or Jamie hmm. at this point. It could go to any three of them and be like, yeah, that tracks for the way that this award season has gone. Yep. Part of, part of me says Carrie. And the reason I'm saying that is I think that that's going to be the consolation prize for Banshees. I think that's going to be there. Here is like we can't give something. it to Colin, and we can't give it to uh, um, Barry, and we can't give it to Brendan. And I think it's gonna. <laughs> and I think also it's going to miss out on screenplay. But um, yeah. like I, I do think everything everywhere is winning. But to be fair, but- Carrie is magnificent. Oh, this Banshees. isn't this. Uh, yeah, just to be clear. The, no, this isn't. She like is a, wonderful yeah. in that movie. But I think that is going I'll, to be. Also, I, I want to say something because. The internet gives me a headache sometimes, <laughs> especially like film Twitter. The full like 360, 540 that we've all done on Jamie Lee Curtis at this point is exhausting to me because as much as I don't think that it's my favorite, it's definitely it's not my favorite supporting performance of the year and it's not the one that I would pick to give the award to. But people being like, She's not even good in that movie. Come on. I I literally, I cannot take you seriously. If you're going to, you can tell me that it's not your favorite performance. It's not one that you would have nominated. But if you said, someone said she had a better performance in Halloween Kills. (laughs) And I sat there and went, don't throw your laptop out the window. Don't throw your laptop out the window. It's fine. Touch some grass, maybe. Like, but it's that kind of stuff where I'm like, you don't have to like have some clearly like hot take that you either don't believe or that you do believe and we need to have a conversation. <laughs> because if you believe she was better in Halloween Kills than everything everywhere, I actually am concerned about how you view movies. Mm. A f- full offense and intended there. <laughs> like um but like that that whole part of the conversation that's starting to come about is a little Mm, I don't like that. I don't yeah. like that because I, I've been, since the beginning of the award season, gone. If anyone's going to get a performing, uh, supporting performance award, it should be Stephanie Hsu. Yeah. But I also don't sit there and go, oh, I can't believe this little unknown actress, Jamie Lee Curtis, who 
also gave a really good performance that the Academy would even dare to think about. Like, it's not who I would give it to, but I'm not going to sit there and say she wasn't good in the movie. And that, like, like, it's just that it's... It's just something I needed to rant about because I was like, I cannot believe that with my own two eyes, I'm seeing these kind of takes about this. Mm. I do just hate that. Like it's, it, it, I, I love Jamie Lee in that movie, but I hate that it's her over Stephanie because mm-hmm. mm. like, yeah, Stephanie gives the I, performance. Yeah. yeah and I, look, I get that. Look, I think we were all just, and this sucks cause it shouldn't be this way, but I think we were all just so excited. She actually pulled off being nominated. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. That, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, it'd be great to see her win, but I was so terrified that she was going to get shut out of being nominated and it was just going to be Jamie and we were all going to sit there and go. You kidding. <sighs> <laughs> she, she is like, besides like she is, I feel like there's a lot of hearts of the movie, but Stephanie is definitely one of them mm. and she is at the core of it. And yeah it would just be awesome but it's not gonna happen, so it's fine. I, again okay i just because i was watching so i was sitting down today watching um they just released this like big panel interview of all the directors from uh i think it was dga they all did like an interview and so you had steven spielberg you had the daniels um you had um joe kaczynski um um why am i blanking Martin McDonough Todd Field. and Todd Field. And they were all doing a panel just talking about directing their movies and like their process. It was like, it's a two and a half hour long panel conversation. Shit. It's fantastic. I would recommend everyone go check it out, especially mm. if you care at all about like how the intricacies of like directing and how they approach like talking to actors and, and the casting process. But they were talking, the Daniels were talking about their casting process and like trying to find the people to make this work and how, you know, because they had no sway whatsoever, they're not big names, they had no budget, um, that the studio was trying to get them to, like, just put names, like, find names and put names. And they got Michelle attached, and they were so excited, and they're like, yes, we have a name, and the studio went, Michelle Yeoh is not a name. Like, she's not a big enough <laughs> name. And they just sat there, and they were crushed, and they were like, how the hell? First of all, that kills us, because that means we need to find another name somehow. But how the hell can you sit there and tell us that Michelle Yeoh is not a name? Is not yeah. a name? Like, yeah. she's not a draw card, and she's not a name. But anyway, he was talking, they, he was like, oh, yeah, like, we found Stephanie because we were, like, working on this, like, other show. Like, we went to direct an episode of a show that she was, like, part of. We met her there. And originally, like, it fell through, but Aquafina was this role. And I had known that already, but hearing them say that, I just, my whole, I was like, I can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so glad that didn't happen. <laughs> uh, uh, mm. God, I like, can't even imagine. It just would have been such different. Yeah. I already movie. love Shang-Chi, but oh man, I love that movie even more now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Shang-Chi. Shout out to being a real one. Um, but, but yeah, it's just like, it was really interesting hearing the Daniels talk about trying to cast this movie and being like, because of the way Hollywood is right now, there are no names. We can't just find Asian actors who are also names who we can just like, like that just doesn't sucks. Like it's just, what are we supposed to do? It was just such an interesting conversation. Well, and that's which all the way they talk about finding key as well is phenomenal by the way. But like that also brings in, and we'll say this the other day, I'm going on a little bit of a tangent, but you just brought it up. Like, this, I you know, after the SAGs, I think every we all 
kind of sat there and went, this is a moment for Asian Americans in Hollywood. This is a moment where everyone can sit there and go, this is a huge moment for them. And I was wondering, like, and I was, you know, saying, you know, did we not do this with Parasite? And I was like, well, no, because Parasite felt, Parasite felt more of a moment for foreign films. It didn't feel like a moment for Asian cinema. It felt like a moment for foreign films. And that was kind of also how every time they would accept an award, it was talking about foreign films. And subtitles. It it wasn't talking about Korean or Asian cinema. It was talking about, no, go and search out non-American movies. And I think Everything Everywhere has been a celebration and moment for Asian American actors or Asian actors. And it doesn't just necessarily have to be American, just... But but it is though. Yeah. But this is distinctly a moment for Asian American actors specifically because Within Hollywood. The, because the Daniels we were talking about like that was the problem they were having mm. was finding established big name Asian American actors yeah. that they could cast in this film. Mm. Um, and they talked about. I know this is a bit of a tangent, but if you guys are listening to this podcast, you should care enough about movies to just <laughs> let us tangent about this. Um, but the Daniels talked about how. And they've talked about it a couple times, and like Michelle has talked about it a couple times, but because of what Crazy Rich Asians did and how much of a hit it was, like that kind of propped the door open a little bit for mm. people to start kind of poking around. And the Daniels talk about how Key had seen Michelle in Crazy Rich Asians and went, you know, maybe there is a space for me to get back right. into acting. Yep. Like it's mm. just insane to me that, like, mm. There just wasn't, quote unquote, wasn't a space for him for 20 years. Like, he just had to completely give up being an actor because there just wasn't roles. Like, there was yeah. no one was casting him in anything. And it's just like, it blows my mind. Because mm. when you see his performance and everything everywhere, and you go, how the hell was there no room in Hollywood yeah. for yeah. a guy who can give a performance like that yeah. for 20 years? Mm. For a guy who was discovered by Steven Spielberg... Like what? Like, like one of also like <laughs> who was in two of the arguably one of the most beloved two two beloved movies as a child actor in Goonies and Temple of Doom. Yeah, and he's there's no room at all yeah. growing up. Whereas in you look at that Goonies cast, eight of eleven of them went on to be pretty big names. So like, yeah. But it but I do think it was interesting when you and I had that conversation where like, no, this is a completely different moment from Parasite mm. because this is specifically Asian Americans and their experience, you know, as Im- immigrants or mm. as people who ha- their parents were immigrants or yeah. just what it means to be an Asian in cinema like in America. Mm. Um which is such I don't know if I don't know if the American like public is ready to deal with the fact that those are two different things. Asian <laughs> and Korean like foreign cinema yes. is very different yes. than this moment. Yeah. But it is really fantastic that we're getting to see both of those moments yeah. actually happening. Like that speech at the SAGs oh, yeah. took me out. Mm. Took me out. Like what a legend. Yeah. That is the first award that he has ever been given. Mm. Which is crazy. He's 94? Did you say? 96? 94? 94, 96, I think. Yeah, 94. Like, that is just unbelievable Mm. to me. Yeah. Like, just... Anyway. Anyway, I know that was a bit of a tangent, but like... Well, Elena said it earlier, 
as of today, officially, Oscar voting has started. So we are now we're final two weeks. We have one. We have one week of voting. So voting closes on Thursday next week, and then the big show is on mm, Sunday night in the states. Yeah, not for us. Monday morning. Monday morning for us. So we thought in the eight major categories. That is the actor, the the four acting the two screenplay, director, and picture. If we had votes, what would we vote for? Are we going to work our way up? Yeah, we'll work our way up. So, Taylor, your vote in the category of best original screenplay would be what? This is a bit of a tough one for me um, because I think – I think these are all actually really, really solid screenplays yeah. for very different reasons. Um, they're very distinctive screenplays that serve the specific story that they're all trying to tell very well. They're all very worthy nominees. But at the end of the day, my vote has to go to everything, everywhere, all at once. Alana? I also had a really hard time. <laughs> <laughs> And I know that the Academy is depending on me, so <laughs> I, I thought long and hard about this. Um, I went to Banshees because Ooh. mainly because I feel like I needed to spread it out, which you'll understand later. <laughs> <laughs> but Banshees is just that screenplay is basically exactly what I love about that movie. So it had to go to Banshees. Jacob. There's a thing I love about doing this every year. Like, I try and do this every year. And the thing I love about doing it is that mentality there. I have to spread the love. I can't just give it to all of it. And because you suddenly become like a vote and you go, oh, there's a, that's, there's a chance that this might not win because they feel like they have to spread the love because you have that mindset. Uh, that being, and like, I really wanted to give this to Triangle of Sadness. Like, I really, really wanted to. Or Tar. Everything. It's everything. Like I, that screenplay, is so it's unique. So it's it so is. different. We've never seen anything like it. Like you know, like Tar. That the screenplay for Tar is incredible, but that movie hinges on a performance. Yes, yeah, yes. for sure. Triangle of Sadness. That that is an incredible screenplay. Hinges more, on, I'd say, on directing. Like that, it really, really hinges on, on the directing and the writing. Banshees was the closest I came. Um, yeah. That one was definitely, it was it's a writer's movie. Yeah, so, it's, the, the script it is the, yeah. But me. everything everywhere is just so original and yes. so different. And so I have never seen anything like this before. Yes. I had to give it to it. So yeah, I, uh, I went for everything everywhere. So at the lights on the screen, everything everywhere would win the Oscar. <laughs> Love that. Fair enough. I, uh, yes, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> All right, best adapted screenplay. Elaine, I'm going to start with you. Oh, okay. (laughs) I don't know why I didn't expect that. Um, This was really easy. Like, (laughs) what? Just the way you said, like, this this was just, yeah, I could, this one was easy. (laughs) It's it's women talking. Like, it's my favorite movie of the bunch. I haven't seen Living. So I honestly feel like I love 
um, Ishiguro as an author. So I feel like if I saw Living, it won't talk, top women talking, but it might like mm. go further up on my list. Um, but yeah, again, that screenplay is just phenomenal. I found myself just completely like sighing and then sobbing at like one single line that was said and it's the delivery from the actors as well but the screenplay is just magnificent so yeah women talking tell all right Jay. oh me okay no all right um i really wanted to give this a top gun but i just couldn't because no, it, it, it's women talking <laughs> yes that's the best screenplay of the it's it's honestly outside outside of everything everywhere it's the best one of the year yeah. it's so good like Again, we. I walked out of that, and I, and my response was, "I'm so angry at MGM and how they made and how they distributed this movie. This movie should have been a top two or three contender. We should be talking about this. We honestly should be talking about this as the number two film, yes. uh, yeah, as, as the as the competitor to yeah. everything everywhere. But the fact that we're not, I, I I think it's an incredible screenplay. So I I give it to women talking. Sorry, losers. This is Top Gun Maverick Town. <laughs> Um, no. So Top Gun Maverick really hinges on the screenplay and the structure of it. Um, and it only really works as a legacy sequel because of the way that it's written so meticulously. Um, and for me, because it's come, become such a comfort movie for me personally. Um, and because I just think it hits every emotional beat and every character beat, um, in ways that are, emotional and nostalgic but are interesting um and unique to their own movie um and just just the way that it's all laid out um i think this is kind of the blueprint for how legacy sequels need to be made in terms of how you approach the script from a structural perspective so my vote is going to top gun maverick just because i think from from a writing perspective it's something that i would like love to actually sit down with the team and just be like, how the hell did you like appro- no. approach this? Yeah, because yeah. this movie should have been a disaster. True. Mm. Like it absolutely, this script should yeah. have been a disaster and we should have been going, we waited 34 years for that. <laughs> awesome. All right. The lights on the screen. Consensus, consensus is women talking. So shut right. up the bum. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to best supporting actor. Uh, I will go first. Um, look, I think this is going to be the one that is that does win, and it's key. Uh, I think keys. Look, I if Dano was nominated, I would have given it to Dano. He was my he is my favorite performance of yeah. the year uh, of in supporting actor. I, I loved his performance so much. Yeah, you were raving. I I, I could. I, I think he is absolutely phenomenal in that movie. The fact he's not nominated means I have to give it to the rightful winner and that is key i think he is incredible in this film i think he absolutely deserves to be the win that he is going to get and uh, that's why i am absolutely voting for him copy that <laughs> Tell. um yeah i don't want to spend too much time on it because um we've kind of touched on it a lot already but just to give a performance like that after literally not acting for 20 years yeah. is ridiculous like unbelievable just one of those things where you go you you go and you like hollywood i know you fuck up a lot but what the (laughs) fuck we could have been having this man we could have been having this man giving us these performances for 20 years 
And instead, you give us half of the garbage that we get. <laughs> like, what is... Anyway, it belongs to Key. I'm going to be so furious if something happens to fuck that up. I can't wait. If it... In all seriousness, if it... Like, this has to be the first award of the night, right? You would think. The first? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. So, okay so actor or, or actress is first. True. Normal. Supporting. Supporting, yeah. Because yeah. wasn't Brad Pitt winning like the first award i think yeah the year he won yeah for he, once yeah upon a time. yeah like, they, I they, they, but the they first. normally they'll they'll alternate but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. like yeah so they'll usually... normally alternate a favorite yeah in um i wouldn't be surprised if it was the first one of the night because it's the be one that, good first that everyone is like knowing is gonna yeah happen. and i think it's gonna be that like all right let's get everyone on a high yeah it'll be just after the monologue um get everyone up get everyone all happy and high and then do the others and then we'll get the surprise ones because also it's the one that's not a surprise mm. like everyone can't, if i'm a producer of the oscars it's the one that i'm like get it over and done with because we know it's ca- what it's coming yeah. to be yeah. um all right uh you, you've already you've you said who you'd vote for so for best supporting actress yeah. um, no for, for best supporting actor so, like yeah you just oh, best you, supporting yeah. actor. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i've yeah, copied yeah. that <laughs> all right uh taylor yes who is your supporting actress <clears throat> so this one is interesting to me because I do think that there are I do think there are three performances here that are I don't want to say that there are two that aren't deserving, but there are three that I look at and go, all right, like I, I get it. Um, mm-hmm. Carrie Condon is magnificent in banshees especially going up against the scene partners that she's dealing with throughout the film like she holds her own like a boss and Mm -hmm. she's fantastic um i did not like the whale but hong chow is phenomenal in it Mm. like she is one of the best parts easily um and stephanie shu is just she's she's a revelation in everything everywhere like she is someone where you go, how has she not been in so many things already? Um, and I think, I don't think this is going to happen, but I I would give my vote to Stephanie just because I think she, like, we've all kind of talked about how there's more than one heart to this film and, and it's not the same movie without Key's performance and it's not the same movie without Michelle's performance. But... Stephanie and her performance is like, it's what the whole movie is essentially about. Like we talk about how it's about Michelle Yeoh's character about Evelyn, but like the, everything is, is happening because of the daughter essentially. Like it's the mom's fault, Mm. but it's the daughter who's created all these universes and is, is creating all the chaos in the movie that we're having to sort through. And it's such a, it requires so much of her. Like the, there's so many layers to the character that I just don't want to like hate on other actresses, but I just don't know if there are more than a handful of people her age and who fit the character description that like could give a performance mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Like it's just kind of mind blowing actually. Yeah. Um, I'm the same. <laughs> Mrs. Stephanie. <laughs> just, yeah. Like, Everything Taylor said, she takes on the character and gives a performance that at the beginning you're kind of 
you kind of get the new actor vibes from her, but as she gets into the Jobu, <laughs> I was about to mess it up, Jobu Tupaki, um, like character, you, she definitely like her kind of style of acting really suits that specific yep. role. So that's, I think, why she just shined so much in this. And it is like, I think everyone takes from this film what they relate to the most. And I think the mother-daughter, like, storyline is at the core of this film. And, I mean, it, like, literally is how it ends with mm. the world, the planets colliding and they hug at the end. Like, it's, that's what I find is the core of this film. Like, key and, like, husband and wife relationship is there as well, but I find that a bit of a side plot to, like, Stephanie and Michelle. So her ability to really hold down that performance is what makes the movie so special to me. So, yeah, Stephanie. Um, I was debating Steph by... idiot? Look, <laughs> I gave it to Hong because I really, really loved that performance. And, yeah. and, and I, I She's just... She's the one good thing about that movie. No, and, and that's the thing. Like, I... I and... I also kind of wanted to be like, you know what? Just because a movie ha- a movie's awful doesn't mean you should overlook incredible performances. Yeah. And I think she is absolutely incredible in an awful film. Yeah. And that's kind of where I'm like, you know what? I, I, I'm gonna. I, I would love to give. I, I, I'm gonna give her my vote for it because also, I think just that is a really subtly beautiful performance that is not I, I I think is able to be very different to what Fraser is doing and not as in a movie that is not very good she's able to, she is a massive bright spot in it so I, I'm I'm gonna I'm especially when you have a director who's clearly not helping yeah yeah <laughs> so I, I'm I'm going to to give <laughs> sorry all of technology is like stop talking about the whale stop it stop right now i didn't even open an app <sighs> all right this is part two of uh, the shopping center mishap that we had going on my phone is going insane anyway is it okay but just like for a second when I think about the whale, it takes me like five full seconds for my brain to go, wait, who directed the whale again? Yeah, no. no, literally. No. I always forget. And then I remember, I'm like, what the fuck was like, that? Mm, that know, doesn't right. compute no for me. sense. Yeah. It doesn't feel like his fingerprints are anywhere no. on that movie, which is until so- like the last two two minutes. Yeah. Like the last two minutes, yes. you go, oh, okay, you're an Aronofsky movie. Okay, <laughs> fine, fair enough. But then the payoff's not worth it. No, exactly. No, like, uh, yeah. Anyway. Anyway. All right. Uh, Elena, give it to yeah, give her the award. <laughs> Best actor, actress, actress. <laughs> Who do you think I'm choosing? I think I think you're going for the sweep. I think you're going with Michelle Yeoh. I actually watched Two Leslie the other day. Oh no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Um, no, it's it's Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> I am predictable. Um, like everything I said with Stephanie, Michelle's the the heart of that movie, and she holds it down. And just 
everything she does. I, I just yeah, and then oh, but I'm also am like really torn. I think I just like my heart wants Michelle Yeoh to win. Like I want to see that happen, but my head is also like Kate Blanchett is the reason. I love Tar so dearly. Yeah. And I watched that movie and I'm just like blown away by what she does. So if Kate Blanchett wins, I will be like fine with it. But I think because of her attitude towards like awards races at the moment, I'm just like. I think Kate I, is very much not wanting to be in yeah. Hopkins yeah, so right that's, now. Yeah, so I'm just like, yeah. She's like, guys, don't do that to me. <laughs> Come on. I don't deserve that. So yeah, it's Michelle Yeoh as my as my favorite. Um, but Kate, I would choose Kate Blanchett. But yeah, this is without question the category where I am definitely being. I am definitely taking the story into it. I can't give it to Kate again. Like I, I and that and like in a va- all things being equal. Kate maybe by an inch gave a better performance because she completely owns that movie, whereas in Michelle's got key and like there's a no, lot no, of factors. No, no, no. I just don't think you're wording that correctly. Okay, fair enough. Like, I don't think you're meaning to say she gives a better performance. No, I think you're meaning more of the movie hinges on the fact that if Kate gives a bad performance, yes. yeah, it's that's, all on her. Yes. Yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, sorry, maybe yeah, not a better performance, but like a, that. If her performance, if she doesn't do what she does in that first twenty-minute monologue, the movie doesn't work. A lesser work. actress, it wouldn't have. Yeah. No, you you would not sit there and be completely captivated for three hours. That being said, she's won two of them. Michelle, this is a moment for Michelle that we will never get back, and I would be a hypocrite for how angry I was that Richard E. Grant didn't win over um, Mahershala Ali in 2018 because that was his one and only chance. I don't think this will be Michelle's one and only chance. I think there is a chance she gets back. But it's her but it, best chance. It's yeah, her best chance and, like, she is how old? 60? 60. Mm. And she's a 60-year-old Asian-American woman in Hollywood. Like, yeah. this is this, this is doesn't happen chance. often no, exa- for and that's, people like her. And this is a moment. And, uh, and I think – and – you, voters and listeners and everyone has to understand Oscars are not in a vacuum. No. They are not in – you cannot vote without taking into any context. Because people will. They're people. And, they're humans. Uh, yeah. Like, that you, just happens. You, you take in uh, – and so you're going to go, oh, vote for the best performance. I, we're, it's subjective. We're not talking about objective truth here. We are talking about – your personal feelings and how you personally feel and how I personally feel is the story of Michelle Yeoh winning an, an Oscar right now is a better story than than Kate winning her third. Mm-hmm. That's just personally how I feel about it and that's why I would vote for Michelle Yeoh. Tell. Yeah, um, I'm just going to keep it short because everyone else has kind of talked about it already. Um, Michelle, I would vote for Michelle. Wouldn't be mad that Kate if Kate won it because, like we've said, that Tar is her, and that's the reason that it works. Um, but yeah, this is Mich- this should be Michelle's award. The rest of this category is a mess. Like Michelle Williams is in the wrong category. <laughs> <laughs> Anna Darmus showed up and. Andrea Riseborough, whatever, to Leslie. Still, I just, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> don't want to hear it. So everyone else get out. 
All right, let's get to uh, Jacob sleeping on the couch, most likely. Um, best actor. I'm going Colin Farrell because it's been my favorite performance of the year. It, like, I, I, I love this performance so much in that movie. He's so, it, and it's so subdued, and I want him to win so badly, but I know it's not going to happen. So I am giving my vote to Colin Farrell. I'm not going next. Lana? Hmm. <laughs> I, I, um, this was really difficult for me. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, no, I'm kidding. It was not. Um, Paul Meskel for After Sun, <laughs> obviously. Um, my reaction when he was nominated is obviously just. Like, <laughs> I'm so glad we have that recorded forever. <laughs> it's also funny. I, I, I listened to it again the other day and like specifically like my reaction and I wasn't even like, oh my God. I think I was oh, uh, what? I was like, I was like going into like robot mode almost. It was, I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Anyway. Um, yeah. Paul just like, I think the synopsis of after sun, like sums it up. There's like a line that says she tries to reconcile the father she knew with the man she didn't. And the way he can act that so specifically and so well of like acting like a father and hiding parts of yourself to your daughter so you are able to present yourself as this perfect fatherly fatherly figure but deep down dealing with emotions that you don't want your daughter to know about but you can't hide Mm. because they are so overwhelming. Mm. The way he is able to convey that is insane and like him specifically at that age and just like with his limited experience being able to do it is just, <sighs> I just love him so much. <laughs> oh my God. The floor is yours. <laughs> we aren't going to have a consensus. Thank, thank, no, 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 I know this is the first one that doesn't, no. that, yeah. Um, this category personally upsets me. <laughs> <laughs> because... Every other category you look at in the major acting ones, and you're like, yeah, I could take or leave a few. And you look at this one, can we, is a five way tie? Has that ever happened in it? Can we just, can we like, can we just give them all? Is that, is that possible? Is that a thing that can happen? Because I do think, so like, again, I've said this before Colin Farrell's performance is not my favorite performance in that movie, but I think he's incredible in it. Um, Brendan Fraser, I think, gives the performance that the director's asking him to give in a movie that's not very good. I Again, I personally don't love his performance in the movie, but I think it's what's being asked of him and that he's doing that well. I think Bill Nye, I haven't seen Living, but I think Bill Nye is a legend and everything I have seen him in, he's just always so phenomenal and I think it would be an incredible moment for him to have that because mm. I don't know if he's ever going to get back yeah. to this point Paul Meskel is like the story it's like the quote unquote overnight sensation story right like he's obviously been putting the work in but he is relatively new to the industry compared to pretty much everyone else that's been nominated and he gives such a subdued, incredible performance where you would go. That would be a hell of a like performance to give it to. 
And then you've got your biopic performance. You're, you know, unless you're Taryn Edgerton, your, you know, necessary, like, biopic thing that they just always nominate for the most part. And it's, again, it's almost the Paul Meskel situation where it's another quote-unquote kid. He's, like, 30, but for the Oscars, they're, like, child. (laughs) He's far too young. We can't be doing this. Um, And you've got that performance where it's the, you know typical Hollywood story of someone just completely giving themselves away and just turning into another person and immersing themselves into a world so much that by the end of it, they're trying to find ways to get out of it. And I just think it's such a fascinating category. Like it personally offends me because I'm like, why is this all in one year? Why didn't we spread this out a little bit so that we could actually award more than one person? Because I do think it's one of the most packed, like actor, best actor categories we've had in a long time. Oh yeah. Um, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised where my vote's going. Um, my vote has been with Austin Butler for months now, months and months and months since this movie came out. And I went, they released this too early. <laughs> No! <laughs> Why do they keep doing this to me? Um, and he has been the one that I've really hoped would at least get a nomination because I think that he, like the whole story, again, like taking into context, like the whole story around how this movie actually ended up getting made, like after Tom Hanks was COVID patient number one mm. and Australia was almost blamed for killing him. <laughs> Um, and the whole thing that that production had to go through and Austin deciding that when Baz tried to send him back home, he said, I'm going to stay in Australia because if I go home, this movie's never going to get made. If I go home, I'm not going to be able to get back all the work I've put in to trying to embody Elvis and figure out how to be that person in my own version in a movie and how he spent his own money to stay here, to rent a place on the Gold Coast because he was just so determined that that this movie had to be made and he was going to stay here until it happened. And just someone who talks so passionately about the fact that he felt like this was his moment. He was either going to nail this performance and it was going to be the moment he's been working towards since he was 12 years old on Nickelodeon and Disney channel, like, working on shows that he didn't love being a part of, but was putting in the work. Or it was going to be a moment that he took on a role far too big that he just was never going to be able to achieve, and that was going to be the end of his career. That's the way he talks about this role. It was either going to be the end of his career or it was going to be that next step that every actor hopes to get to at some point. And just to see the way that even people who are really divisive on the movie and who are not huge fans of Baz, seeing how well-received the performance is, is just something that's really exciting for to see an actor who has been doing it since he was 12, had gotten to a point where he just thought he was going to have to quit because the roles that he was looking for outside of Disney Channel and like young adult TV shows were just not going to happen. Um, and I just think... I don't think this will be his only chance, hopefully. Like, I think he has a pretty solid career ahead of him where he can get back to this point. But I do still think that it is kind of that 
monumental thing where you had Baz find the right person at the right time. Like he somehow always does and just catapulted them into the limelight at the right time in their career. And you're just getting that kind of collision of all things coming together. Um, And I won't be upset if Brendan wins and I wouldn't be upset if Colin wins. But for me, like the biggest joy I would feel would be if Austin got the award just because like the story around it to me is so it's been something I've been so invested in for months and months and months now. The only thing, you know what though? I, I wouldn't be upset if Brendan won, but let's all be, let's all be real. What we really want to see is like somehow Paul just coming in and just being like, <laughs> taking it last minute. Sag, I don't know what any of that means. Like, <laughs> sorry, I'm here. <sighs> So we're going to have a three-way tie yep. on Mia. All right. That's on a screen pod. That's fine by me. Yep. <laughs> I love all of these performances. Yep. So. All right. Director. <sighs> Taylor. I just talked for so long. I wonder, um, I wonder what this consensus will be. Um, I, don't yeah, think there, I don't think there will be one. I don't know if there will be either. Um, um, might be. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I have a feeling you two are going to gang up against me on this one. <laughs> I don't think which, so. Which is fine. <laughs> Um, so I had a bit of an interesting time with this one as well, because the Daniels kind of achieved something that is pretty, it feels unachievable when you think about trying to bring everything everywhere all at once together as a project and actually filming it in the 38 days that they filmed it like that. You watch the movie and you go, there's no actual way that this happened. Um, so I'm really excited to see them be nominated for that. Martin McDonough, I still have only seen Banshees. I haven't gotten around to actually watching any of his other films yet. So I don't know. I don't really have an, an a, informed opinion about his body of work. But I do know that watching Banshees just, like, was a sucker punch for me. Like, I didn't know how I felt about it. And then the last, like, ten minutes happens and I'm just, like, sobbing. So <laughs> there's that. Tar, I don't know if I think about Tar and I think about the directing. I think it's well-directed, but I think when I think about Tar, I think about the performance and I think about the screenplay, Um, which maybe is unfair to Todd Field, but that's just not how I think about it, I guess. Um, And then Triangle of Sadness, I think, Jacob, you touched on it. A lot of it has to do with being really well-directed for for why it works. Um. But to me, I, I have to give it to Steven um, for the Fablemans because he, I, I don't know if I've really talked about it on this podcast. Um, Jacob knows this very well because I talk to him about it a lot and he rolls his eyes at me and is like, <laughs> why are you doing this to me? I am not a Steven Spielberg person, generally. Like we started doing a Steven Spielberg watch for some, like we got, we got up to Schindler's List. Yeah. And then we didn't, we haven't watched Schindler's yet. So we went through some of his earlier career stuff. And I was just like, mm, I don't know about this. This is not, I, I'm not a fan of Close Encounters. Like, I don't like the posts. Like, I'm just not. There's I a lot of, I've seen either of those. There's, so a lot, there's a lot of Steven Spielberg movies that just don't work for me. I, I appreciate, like, I, I watch his movies and go, damn, that's a well directed movie, but I don't think I like the story that, that he's that. telling. Like, I never dislike a movie because I'm like, oh, he just, this, this pleb can't direct. So that's <laughs> never my problem. That's never my problem with the movie. 
usually it's just not a story that I'm interested in or that connects with me or that like, or it's the script is the problem. Like it's usually something else is the problem, but the Fablemans for me, like might actually be my favorite Steven Spielberg movie now. Um, which is kind of like insane a little bit. Uh, I know I still have a lot of his movies to watch and I will get there. I will, I will make my way through it, but I have to be in the right headspace. Otherwise I'll just hate all of them because I'm like being forced to watch it. Um, I'm like one of those people that has to be in the right mood to watch the right movie. Otherwise, James Bond comes to mind. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That marathon of all of the James Bond movies was, uh, within like a month and a half. (laughs) We watched all of them and I could not tell you, like he's never catch me doing that. He's like, Oh, do you, what did you think of this specific one? And I'm like, Jacob, they all literally run together in my head and they're all one giant movie. And I couldn't even tell you what happens in any of them except for the James Daniel Craig Bond movies. That's literally all I can tell you. But anyway, um, so I have technically seen all the Bond movies, but I don't know how much that counts for anything when I can't remember anything about most of them. But anyway, I don't want that to happen with Spielberg. I actually want to take my time and like work through them. But Steven, I think, and again, this is kind of what I touched on earlier. I think this is the most personal he's ever been willing to be. He always gives parts of himself away in his movies. Like, there's always some element of his life that gets put into them. But this, when he sat down to write this, um, it just, with Tony Kushner, and Tony sat down and was, like, pulling things out of him and making him experience these things and relive these things that he clearly, you know, was ready to talk about but still kind of needed that that push this just, I watched it and I just felt like I get it. Like I watch him and I'm like, okay, I didn't really get Steven Spielberg before from like a personal perspective. Like I get that he's technically very talented and put in work to be a great director, but I watch this movie and I'm like, I get it. Mm-hmm. Like I just understand it. And like, I don't like mean this to be funny, but it's probably going to be funny. But like, seeing those scenes where he's like in Arizona and they're talking about Phoenix and they're just like, like I get it. Like Mm. there's just things about it that I just, I don't know. Like it's just one of those movies that really stuck with me. And as much as I think the screenplay is really good and the acting is really great. I just think that in the hands of Steven as a director, like that's just why it, it is what it is. Like that's, that's the whole thing about it. Um, so my, mine would go to Steven. Nice. Um, Elena? That was a very dramatic pause. Yeah, I was like, do I go? Nah, Elena. I wonder if you and I are going to have the same. I don't think we will. Like I said, I think you guys are going to gang up on me. I don't know. Because it's... No, I want you to say yours first. Okay, I've gone Daniels. Interesting. I have a feeling you're... I have a feeling I know who you're going with. He was my second. Um... I like he was my second and he could literally be anyone. No, I, I think I know I know who you're going who who you went with. I went with the Daniels because the more and more I'm thinking about about it and this campaign, I just this is a moment. This whole this is a moment to be a part of history. This is a moment to be a part of of celebrating again and and the thing that I have wanted that I want from my from the Oscars and what I believe the Oscars should do is celebrate what fi- what 
movie best represented 2022 in film. Mm. For me, there are two movies. One of them is nominated in a lot of categories. The other one isn't. So I am going to the movie that celeb- that best represents 2022 in film, and that's why I'm going with the Daniels because I think it does. It represent. It is the best exclamation point of where was cinema in this year, mm-hmm. and that is where it is at the moment. It, it is the movie that uh, that represents one side of independent cinema while at the same time also celebrating how diverse and unique cinema can be. It is a movie that is ce- that celebrates how success what what happens when you give audiences something different and unique they will support it they yes. will go out and show and see them in in theaters they will support it if you give them the backing and you trust them they will go out and support it mm-hmm. and i think what the daniels have done with this movie is incredible so i'm i'm i i went with the daniels when you told me to do this i i wrote down the daniels um, but I wanted to spread the love. <laughs> yeah, I knew, I knew this was coming. I know exactly where you're going with this. And he was my number two. And yeah, I chose Ruben Oslin. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, because, but I was tossing up because they are both like on the, under the same umbrella for me as like very chaotic movies that under a lesser director would have gone completely haywire. But Ruben Oslin, what he does with Triangle Sadness and what the Daniels do with Everything Everywhere just, like, brings it together and it never feels too much and, like, uncontrolled. Um, but I, I went with Ruben because Triangle of Sadness is, like, one of my favourite movies from last year and I just needed something <laughs> to appreciate it because I wasn't going to give it best picture <laughs> um, or screenplay. And, yeah, I think what really makes this movie is the direction and what he is able to do with the subject matters like he does with all his films. And I just appreciate his eye for the craft so much and what he's able to bring to the, yeah, the themes and... I don't know, just his way of making these absurd stories make sense. And I don't know. I never know how to talk about his movies (laughs) in a fucking critical sense. They're just fucking epic. I love Ruben Osland. Anyway, yeah. All right. No consensus. No. I guess the consensus could be Daniels. Yeah. But whatever. All right. Let's let's do Best Picture and uh, break someone's heart. Um, Oh. Elena, who's your best picture? Um, write and vote for decision to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes. Uh, everything, everywhere, obviously. My favourite movie of last year. Jacob said it perfectly. It's the movie of last year. And if you choose Top Gun, I'm actually going to throw my laptop at you. Um, so choose a different movie right now before and um, forever hold your peace, whatever they say. Jacob, are you ready to get a laptop thrown at you? <laughs> yeah, I am. Why? Because it's the movie of 2022. Shut the fuck up. It is the movie that sums up 2022 for me. I give it three other fucking Oscars, all right? Don't give a <laughs> no, I gave it four. I gave it one more than you did. <laughs> okay, I gave it four. I gave it two acting, a screenplay, and a director. 
I'm giving Top Gun best picture because it is the best picture of 2022 out no, of this not. list. I was, it is the movie that perfectly just encapsulates blockbuster filmmaking in 2022. We have not had a blockbuster film win best picture in over 20 years. It needs to happen again and i and it needs to be hey hollywood is willing to give their biggest award to something that is not an indie film and it hasn't happened or a smaller in a smaller movie I, I just love the idea of this movie that should not have worked that just came in and compl- and brought people back to cinema after covid i just think in 2022, after the shit we have just gone through for two years in cinema, Top Gun being this movie that can be celebrated by, that is loved by basically everyone, even someone who hates it right now, loves it. And I know you love that movie. That's the thing. I feel like I need to clarify. (laughs) I literally love that movie. And everyone probably thinks I hate Top Gun, but just in the awards conversation, I'm like, shut the fuck up. But I do appreciate that a movie that did bring people back to cinemas is getting nominated, but I also just hate, like, if that would win. Look. I would hate that because then you're giving into the whole, like, only, like, we need people to watch the Oscars that have seen the movies. You know what I mean? I hate that. I would agree with you if they had literally done it for a movie in the last 20 years, but they haven't. And that's the thing. They have not given a successful big, a a movie that's made the, you know what the last highest grossing best picture winner is? It's King's speech with 400 million. That's it. They don't do it anymore. And that's and I wouldn't even count that as like a exactly. big blockbuster. Yeah, that's that, still like, a pretty the artsy. last one's Lord of the Rings. That's realistically the last one. And I, I just, yeah, that's that's just where I'm at right now. And I think that you know, I would agree with you if it happened very often. It doesn't. It does not happen at all. It doesn't. Like in terms of what wins. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, just in general, like with. The Academy, like, it's a, it's, I'm glad it's a good movie. If it was just like a blockbuster for well, the sake of being a blockbuster in there, I would be really mad. Well, but. that's why I'm like, look, I, I, I really enjoy the first Avatar movie, but I'm glad that Hurt Locker won it because Hurt Locker deserved Best Picture that year. Absolutely deserved Best Picture that year. I, I would have been mad last year if No Way Home got nominated. Yes. Because to me... And everyone was talking about the fact that that should be nominated. I'm like, no. 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 (laughs) And that is very different to what Top Gun does. Yes. And I think that what Top Gun does and what Avatar Way of Water does to an extent is uses filmmaking and blockbuster filmmaking to drive audiences back into a theatre and show you this is why these movies need to be seen on a big screen. And I think that that is important and should be celebrated at the Academy. And I think that is why I would really, I would love it to win best picture for that and that alone. Everything everywhere. I've given it everything else and I am, I will happily give it everything else. And I'm going to be very happy when it wins best picture. I'm not going to be mad when it, when it, when it wins best picture. It absolutely deserves it because it is the, it is, like I said, one of two movies that is the movie of 2022 that sums up what 2022 is perfectly. 
just Top Gun's the other one, and I think Top Gun, and I think that blockbuster filmmaking is something that we just we haven't been able to celebrate because it's only been the MCU for the last decade. True, and, and, fact, and the DCU and attempt the, making yeah. an attempt, but like we haven't been able to celebrate genuine filmmakers coming in and f- and making films on a blockbuster scale with. 80s style filmmaking of just like, hey, just make a movie that is big and bold and different. And, you know, yes, its themes are very on the nose. Yes, its its storytelling is very blatant and cheesy to an extent. I don't care that the ending of that movie packs one of the biggest punches of the year of when they're on the carrier. It's just a really great moment and it's just a celebration moment and I just – we don't get movies made like that anymore, and I and I I think the Academy awarding Top Gun Best Picture would be a recognition of we don't get movies like this anymore. That being said, everything everywhere it's a recognition of where Asian cinema is right now, and that's oh where Asian American cinema is, and so that's another re- massive representation. I that is why I'm giving it literally every other award, and then Best Picture can go to Top Gun. <laughs> I do agree with you. That's the funny thing. <laughs> just uh I'm gonna sit in my little corner over here <laughs> let you guys go at it um yeah no it's top gun oh fuck me <laughs> for, for sure first elena is leaving the podcast she is walking out of the room we are never gonna get her back after this the consensus cannot be fucking top gun <laughs> Listen, you have you have Blake to blame for not showing up. To, I'm going to call him out. Blake, you, get in here right now. You have Blake to blame for not showing up to this podcast. Would he have voted? Would he, that's the thing, yeah. though. Would he, I need to text him right now. Yeah, get, get some live Lost. updates. We're going to bring you some live updates. Oh, over God. I, I actually, Loki, like, while we were... Um, while we've been recording, I sent I took a picture of my screen right now and sent it to him. And I was like, "Why is Gold Derby doing this to me?" Because look at the background of my oh, <laughs> oh god. We still have a movie to I actually know. review. Didn't we uh, see a movie this week? Or yeah. Something? Oh we my sh- god. We should actually like move on to the movie that we um did see this week we did see this week because it's actually a really good movie and it's a big one and um we've already been talking for two hours so uh thank you if for you've the- stuck around thank you for sticking around we're of course now going to move on to creed three adonis has been thriving in both his career and family life but when a childhood friend and former boxing prodigy resurfaces the face-off is more than just a fight i know what you're doing donnie you don't owe this to nothing. Damien's fighting the world and he's trying to hurt people. I vouch for you. You think you mad? Try spending half your life in a cell. Watching somebody else live your life. I'm coming for everything. You threatening me? Something is going on with you. Damien was like family. Now we passed talking. Then maybe you just have to find out. So, uh, let, I'm just going to go around the table and get you to introduce your, how, okay, your experience with this franchise <laughs> so that we can actually, like, so people yeah. have context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taylor, what is your, what baggage did you bring into this <laughs> franchise? <laughs> well, let me tell you. Um, so, my 
stepdad watched a lot of like Rocky when I was a kid. So I know I've seen a couple of the movies. Um, I for sure know I've seen the first one. I know I've seen at least parts of a couple of the other ones, but I couldn't really tell you much about the sequels. Like I could probably tell you more about Rocky. Um, and then I have seen all both other like Creed one and Creed two. Um, so I have some Rocky context. Um, I do actually need to like rewatch them cause it's been like 20 years probably at this point. Um, but, and I also do want to rewatch Creed and Creed two just cause I didn't have time before we went into this, but yeah. So I have ish, like I have baggage ish kind of. <laughs> Elena. I've not seen a single Rocky movie. <laughs> um, really sorry. <laughs> Um, but I like I have the vi- really vintage box set at home. <laughs> like, yeah, I've got that the somewhere. DVD box set. I got the blue. That my one. dad like bought when I was a kid. Um, so I like yeah, I like have knowledge, but I watched Creed two in like when it came out in cinemas mm. on a very awkward double date. Um, <laughs> and dude was trying to hold my hand, and I was like. Stop. <laughs> this movie is awesome. <laughs> and Stop. Shirtless Michael Michael B. Yeah, Jordan. Hang exactly. <laughs> um so yeah. Um and then I hadn't watched the first one at that time, but then yeah, went back and my first boyfriend loves those movies and then we broke up and I was like, fuck these movies. <laughs> but I hate to admit they're good movies. Um that's my that's my experience. I also want to backtrack a bit. Blake has spoken. Oh god. Oh, he picked tar. So, <laughs> so we would have been no better off. We would have been no better right. off. So um Top, top Gun wins, I guess. Fuck my life. Anyway. Jacob, what's your experience with the uh, So my experience with Rocky is my dad, unlike uh your stepdad, my dad and your dad. My dad doesn't watch Rocky. <laughs> he did not care That's for Rocky. That's so on brand I, I know, for your dad, I know by the is. way. I know it so is. So on brand. Um, so my dad's real westerns and that's about it. Like he he watches 50s movies. Not, westerns and like war yeah, kind of period. Like, yeah. Like more that kind of genre. genre. Yeah. So yeah. He, he's not really into sports movies. Um, Which my, is or, hilarious. Or he's into sports comedies. He loves Major League. I was going to say anyway. anything about golf. Yeah. Throw that that's in there. Anyway. Um, so... I didn't really grow up on Rocky. I watched them later in life. It was it was long before Creed came out, but it was like 2010s, early 2010s when I was about, like I was an adult at that point. So I love the first Rocky movie. I think, I think the first Rocky movie is a Best Picture winner for a reason. It is incredible. It's really well made. It's... It is the epitome of the little movie that could, and I get why it's so beloved. Um, two's okay, and then I, I I honestly have not watched. I cannot really remember the others. Um, the first Creed movie, I went in a little skeptical. Oh, oh sorry, and, and Balboa, I do very much remember because I love Balboa. Um, Creed. I was skeptical, blown away when it first came out. Absolutely adored it. Thought this is an incredible film. Creed two. I am not the biggest Rocky four fan, so 
I wasn't really looking forward to Creed 2 as much. Like, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm excited. I was nervous that Kugler wasn't coming back. I think Creed 2. Uh, I just assumed it was it Kugler. It, it wasn't Kugler. It wasn't Kugler or Michael B. Jordan. Um, I can't remember oh, his I'll name. I'll have a look. But, yep. yeah, he um, Kugler did the story, but he was doing Black Panther at the time. I, so, yeah, I assumed it was he did both the first ones and then. No, he. he, oh. he uh, Stephen Cable Jr. That's right, yeah. He, um, Kugler wasn't, he got Black Panther straight after Creed and then that was his, he, he yeah, Creed 2 didn't happen with him. Um, but I enjoy Creed 2. I think it is a good movie, not a great one. I think it's the, I think it's the weakest of the three now. Um, I, I just, I, I, I'm just, I, I think it hits a lot of the same beats. I think it's not as emotional. I think, um, it just feels very much like, hey, this is, yeah. this is Creed again. And I, I just, yeah, I, I don't think it quite, I, I don't think the emotional weight of it being Drago, Drago's kid works yeah. for me. Like, yeah. I, I just kind of am like, like, I get that it's his, I, I think it may be, would have been more if I grew up caring about Apollo being killed, but I never have. So that's not quite as of a, you killed Apollo's, you you killed his dad and not like, I don't know. I've just, Creed 2 has never really been one that's like, this is majorly emotional for me. I think it's a good movie. I I think the best parts of it are the family drama with the daughter, with um, his wife. Yeah. Like, I, I think those are the best parts of it. And, Stallone kind of feels like he's there, not really mm. wanting to. Like, mm. I think he's kind of just sticking around. Um, uh, this new one, though, I was a little skeptical of Michael B. Jordan coming into direct. It felt very much like, oh, okay, we're just doing Rocky. Like, we're just because mm. Stallone came in and directed the sequels and they were his right. first directing. Right. And, like, it, it was like, oh, we're just doing Rocky. Okay, all right, let's 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 try this. Jonathan Majors, he's having a moment, and oh boy, as he should. Yep, he delivered. He's slowly becoming one of my favorite actors. He is fantastic in this. This is a really good movie. This was a really, really good movie, and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I, 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 I hope this is the last one, but I also don't. I liked, I feel like, yeah, like if it was the last one, it would be a good ending. Yeah. Like it ended, it could be open-ended, but like also a good wrap-up. Yeah. Yeah, this movie is epic. I hate to admit it. (laughs) Um, It's not like I wanted to hate this movie. I didn't. But I also just like, it's just so man. (laughs) And every, every, every dude coming in to see it at work today, I was just like, the worst man, they stunk, you know? So... (laughs) I just didn't want to enjoy it, but you got to fucking give it up. It, it was epic. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, I don't really have a great enough recollection of Creed or Creed 2 to really talk too much about it. I remember really loving Creed um, and being really surprised by it because I was never interested in the Rocky movies growing up. Like, I had seen them. They were kind of on in the house, but it was never really something that um 
I was particularly drawn to. And so when they announced Creed, I was like, eh, like, sure. Like, all right, fine. Because the trailers were good. Um, and Michael B. Jordan has, has always kind of been someone that I was interested in. Like, he seemed um, like he was going to do a good job, but I just didn't really know what to expect out of it. Because, again, you know, we talk about legacy sequels and how those usually are just giant disasters. Um, and then I just really remember liking Creed a lot. And this one I was excited for because um, I did enjoy Creed 2. And I was like, you know, I could handle, like, I'm not going to complain about another shirtless Michael B. Jordan boxing movie. Like, who is going to complain? Like, that's, we need to sit down and have a talk about anyone who's going to complain about that. And then you're like, also, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? If that wasn't enough for you. We're also going to specifically. We're also going to give you Jonathan Majors, but also somehow he's going to be more ripped than Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Is Enjoy that, that? Is that too much? Is that? And Never. the answer is yes. It's too much. But keep going. Basically, um, this is Jonathan Majors' world, and we're just living in it yes. at this point. I have no complaints about that. I'm happy for that to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do think that we're kind of seeing possibly an all-timer like unfold in front of us just because mm-hmm. as great as Michael B. Jordan is, um, it's just different. Like, it's just, there's something different about him. And I talked about this when we talked about Ant-Man. Like, watching him opposite Michelle Pfeiffer, you're like, oh. <laughs> okay, this is something, there's something. He always is, brings, like, yeah, an yeah. extra an extra level, like, every movie. Like, even Devotion yep. next to Glenn Powell. Like, yes, that's not as, like, a powerhouse person. But he's always just, like, a step above. Always. Yeah, always. Um, and even, like, people don't really talk about this movie enough, which still hurts me. But the harder they fall... Like yeah. I really enjoyed that movie, but his performance, his performance is, mm. and the ensemble he's surrounded by, and you still just want to watch him. Mm. Like you're just drawn to whatever he's doing. Um, it's good he's actually a hero in that one. He is, yeah. <laughs> um, he has range, guys. So watch, watch the heart of the fall and devotion to watch him be a hero, yeah. and then watch this and Loki, and then just you're you're good to go. You're set. Um, but I do think they have really good chemistry together in the film, which is a huge selling point. You have to believe the backstory that the movie wants you to believe. You have to believe that there are really personal stakes involved. Um, and I was watching, so I'm one of those weirdos that like goes back after I've seen the movie and I'll watch people's reactions to the trailer just to like... Because I just find it fascinating. So I went back and started looking at some of them. And people, I think, who had this reaction to the trailer are going to be surprised how right they are with the movie. There are so many moments where um, Damien, Jonathan's character, is not saying a damn word. And bless bless you. And you are just, like, terrified of him. Like, Mm. he is so imposing and so intimidating and he doesn't even have to really say much Mm. like and that's not just because he's ripped it's like he just has a physicality about his acting um and it's just such a cool 
it's such a cool movie um, just because it's like this really awesome like sports movie, um, which is something I personally enjoy. But then you've also got this really personal, um, like almost familial kind of drama movie, mm-hmm. which actually works. Like yeah. it's not one of those that kind of is diametrically opposed where a lot of the times they'll try to be the sports movie and the serious drama. But this actually does both very yeah. well. Um, and it's really just a it it's a really intense story about learning how to deal with your past when it decides it's going to confront you whether you're ready to deal with it or not it's it's really um interesting exploration of how to learn to embrace your present but in order to do that you can't just shove everything you've ever been through into a closet because it's going to show up in in whether physically through someone that you knew and you're pretending you don't don't want to think about anymore or whether it's other little things that pop up pop up in your life but i just think um the message of the story they're trying to tell um is executed really well and i think for a directorial debut, I think Michael B. Jordan does a really great job of, of juggling all those things and really telling an effective, captivating, interesting story. Uh, I want to dive into spoilers because there's things I want to ask you yeah, sure. as two people who have not watched or who have very limited relationship, relationship with, with Rocky. Rocky yeah. So okay. uh, I'm, this is your spoiler alert for Creed 3. I, the most fascinating part for me for the, the movie, and it's, I wasn't on board for half this movie. for really? Or not for half. I, I wasn't on board for a bit of this movie. Hmm. And the reason, and I realized the reason why, and watching it, you go, oh, I think it's intentional. The first half of the movie is Rocky, but from Apollo's side. So the story of Rocky is... The underdog, no-name guy who can't catch a break, can't catch a who, you know, he's a good, he's he's a well-liked member of the community, boxes, but he's not great. His trainer doesn't really kind of just goes, you're never going to be anybody. He gets the once-in-a-lifetime fight. All he has to do is win, and it, like he just, and his whole thing is, I don't, I don't even care about winning. I just want. I just want to put up a fight. I just want to make it a fight. And Apollo through the whole first movie is very much, he's it, the whole reason they're doing it is because it's America's 250th birthday and it's a celebration of that and that, or well, 300th birthday, actually not 250, 300th birthday. And it's a celebration of that. And he's just like, I'll, I'll knock him out. Who care? I don't care about the fighter. It's just the, I need someone who I can, you know, I can do the celebration part. I just need someone to fight. And what I found interesting about what what was making it tough for me was because for half the movie, it is so very clearly being told from Apollo's side of, hey, look, the promoter's the good guy. Hey, look, Rocky's the bad guy. Like, it, it's kind of set, like, re doing Rocky but from a different point of view. And then obviously you get the 
the element of no, he's he is not a good person, or you know, he's he's not not a good person, but like he's taking vengeance and mm. and feels like his life was stolen, which is understandable. And like, like I I think this is probably the best of like quote unquote bat villain outside of maybe Apollo. Um, but I just, as people who aren't familiar with Rocky, what did you have any of that in the first half or what did like you, the fatigue of like, like just going, Oh, you're telling Rocky, but from the opposite well, side, obviously like obviously not. you wouldn't <laughs> have, but like, I don't know. I just think more, how did you connect with Jonathan Major's character? I connected just because I think it it does it like the backstory well. There's some movies where you can have that emotional backstory, but it just doesn't hit and you just don't really ever feel connected. And I didn't to an extent, but like I wasn't fully in it, but also I definitely was because... One, his performance, obviously, and mm. two, I just, I think the the story is a good backstory of like they get pulled up by the cops, he gets out and lives this incredible life that, yeah, he was meant to have. Mm. And the nuance it portrays that with is really well done. Mm. And so I think that's how I connected it like i didn't i yeah i didn't have anything else and any backstory i guess to connect it to which is also good because then i don't have any bias yeah in my head um so yeah yeah i think mine just kind of harkens back to what i mentioned a little earlier which is my take on the story um I guess wasn't didn't necessarily have anything to do with anyone being good or bad or being the antagonist or being the right or the wrong. My even initially, like even through the first half of the film, before we really get that kind of twist where it's clear that um, Damien is going to be the antagonist. For me, it was it was the story of having to deal with your past like the the point to me wasn't oh they're kind of setting um creed up to look like the bad guy or they're kind of setting him up to be the shitty friend or the this or that it was to me this is this is someone who clearly has a past that he doesn't want to talk to anyone about he doesn't want to talk to his wife he doesn't want to talk to his mom he he just doesn't want to deal with any of it he's moved past it and or he's thought he's moved past it, but you have literally the physical manifestation of his past showing up and being like, no, you need to confront this. Like you need to deal with all the internal things you've got going on that are creeping into your marriage and your family life. And that are, that's just something you've never dealt with really. Like you've never worked your way through it and you've never talked about it and you've never figured out, like you're you're holding on to this guilt even though you don't realize you're holding on to it and it's more to me was presented as a story of um like 
this is the physical manifestation of the guilt you didn't know you were dealing with and the past that you don't want to ever talk about and the thing that's kind of keeping that wall up between you and your wife and is causing like this tension with other people. Like that's just kind of how it was to me. It was never really like, oh, this is just like the inverse of mm. a story we've seen before. It was just, it felt that's, that's kind of how I felt with it. So what did, uh, okay. So what did you guys think of Michael B. Jordan's directing and especially the fights? Like the, 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 the two, we get two big fight sequences. Yeah. What, so yeah, how did you guys think he handled those? So good. So unique. I've never seen like any live action thing like that before. And obviously it was all the Japanese inspiration. And I kind of like heard that and I was like, huh. Like I I wonder how exactly, like especially in live action. But it, oh, I just did not expect yeah. that kind of camera movement. And just such good one, yeah, the choreography direction of the fights and the camera movements and the cinematography, all of it was just so crisply done and just so satisfying. And I just, like, found myself just, like, shaking my head, just like, oh, this is good. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Like, it just, like, when it would go into slow motion and the sweat, like, comes off the back, like, in slow motion, oh, just, like, so good. And, like, People just need to take notes. Marvel need to take notes. Every sports movie, like, director needs to take notes of this is how you do it. And I don't want them to, like, do it exactly like that because then it's just going to become, like, over. And this is, like, a a good, unique bubble that this is in. But it's just – I was just blown away. And that was especially why I loved it so much. Yep. Sorry, I'm trying to not yawn and fall asleep over here just because, like, <laughs> I am running on nothing at this point. It is 11.30 um, p.m. Yeah, it is 11.30 p.m., and I just worked a shift that kicked my ass. Um, so I think – what I think is really interesting about this is – and I, I don't want this to come off the way it's probably going to sound, but Michael B. Jordan easily could have, like, taken the, like, symbol – easy phone it in kind of approach because it's his debut Mm. and it's the third installment of a movie and there's all kinds of built-in things where if it isn't perfect or isn't great like you'd be like well maybe it's just because it's like the third movie in a franchise and like other directors already had their fingerprints all over it and like that's just it could have been one of those things where you're like there's nothing really distinctive about the directing and like it's fine but that's not really why the movie's like good or or interesting, and I I'm really glad to see that's not what happened. Um, just because I think Michael B. Jordan has a very unique voice and a very unique perspective, and there's not nearly enough diversity when it comes to directing specifically with that. Um, so I really like that he was given this opportunity, and I hope we get to see more from him because I really appreciated um, specifically w- what you mentioned with not only the actual choreography in the fight scenes, but the setups to it. Um, you know, for for example, when you have Damien walking in and it's all green backlit, um, mm. or you have, oh God, I can't remember the the one he knocks the fuck out, um, the other character yeah. in the first fight. I, I'm so sorry, I can't remember his character name. 
Um, it's on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but when he's being introduced and they treat it like it's a real fight where you've got the big theatrical entrance where there's like colorful smoke and there's like this big like masks and they're in costumes mm. and it's like it's a theatrical moment, but it doesn't feel out of place because mm. that's, you know, boxing and fighting like it's the, like wrestling. It's theater. An element of it has always been like theater. It's a show. It's a sport, but it's also a show. Um, so I thought that was great. And then you have the moments in the final fight where you're you're going back and forth between them sitting in each in each of their corners and you have this beautiful like backlighting um which is really sensational um the moment where you know you've got damien standing up and he's fully backlit and you just kind of see his silhouette a little bit and he's got like they're just moments like that where it just it feels so distinctive and it feels like such a um like a specific choice it's not just flashing from one corner to the other corner there's specific lighting choices and um specific like camera angle choices that are being made and something that um and having the choice to like take a moment in the middle of the big fight and have them be alone in dodger stadium like the crowd is gone and they're just having this really intimate moment Mm. Um, choices like that, I feel like, are things he could have gotten away with not putting in the time to mm-hmm. to make those kind of decisions. Um, and something that I talk about, I don't think I've had a chance to talk about on this podcast yet because I'm not sure if we've had a movie that's really allowed me to, but a lot of fight choreography, especially in big blockbusters recently, um, a lot of them have the problem... Actually, I do think there was a movie we talked about recently where you just a fight happens and you're like, I don't know who's punching who like the yeah. like it's like 70 quick cuts. And I don't know where I definitely I'm, talked about that with Ant. We talked about it with Ant-Man where it's like there's a scene and you don't know who's standing where you don't know who's punching who you don't know what your perspective is or who you're looking at or like what is happening. And then I, I think it was Black Panther. Yeah. No, we did talk about it with Ant Man though too. Yeah, oh yeah, no. In that did, yeah. basically just all Marvel movies too. We have talked about it with Marvel movies, but even outside of just Marvel movies, yeah. a lot of like action films with sequences like that, they just don't put in the work to one make the choreography interesting or engaging uh, or clear, hmm. and then they also don't because of that. Then they just use you know quick cuts and then you're kind of distracted and you don't really know what's happening so it doesn't really matter if the choreography is interesting or not yeah this movie makes sure the choreography is interesting and engaging and exciting and really tense um and it gives you slow-mo shots and it gives you close-ups and it gives you cutaways but it it makes sure you understand the intention it it puts you inside the head of these fighters of these boxers and it it's showing you what they're processing and the decisions they're making and it's just a really cool way to um to frame that and and to make the as as important as the emotional arcs of these characters are it's really taking the time to highlight like how important of an element the the fight scenes are actually to the movie and it's treating it like it should be treated the way that the emotional scenes are like it's highlighting very specific things and it's making you feel things um and it's using like actual filmmaking techniques to do that 
And I think that's a really impressive thing um, for Michael B. Jordan to have done on this movie, especially since he's acting in the majority of it as well. Like Mm -hmm. he had a lot going on and that's not necessarily easy to do. Um, So I really hope we get to see something else from him soon because I'd love to see him take on something completely different Mm -hmm. um, and and see what his perspective would be like. Yeah. No, I don't disagree with that. I'd love to. I I think this was an incredible debut. Incredible debut. Like, and I understand it's in a franchise that he is very familiar with, that he has helped build, that, you know, he's worked with for the last eight years. But I think also it's not easy to be able to come in and do what he has done to be, you know, that young as well. Like he's not, he's not a, like he is an established actor now, but he's still a very young established actor. He's, he's young for a director. Yeah, exactly. So to be able to come in and control it the way he did, I just think it's very impressive. And yeah. Um, The, the other, we can have this as a quick conversation and then we can start wrapping this up. Did you guys miss Rocky? Um, it wasn't until, it wasn't until you said talked about him in Creed two that I realized he wasn't in it. <laughs> That's fair. So like I, I was like, oh yeah, he was in the other ones. Where was he this time? <laughs> like yeah, that was yeah. Um, I do. I didn't necessarily miss him. I I see where they could have put him had they wanted to. Um, I think. You know, Jacob, you brought up a a couple of places you could have fit him in. But it wasn't until you asked me about it in the car where I went, yeah, I guess you could have had him there. Hmm. Um, But, you know, I don't have an emotional connection to the Rocky films. Um, I think he was great in the Creed, like when he's in the Creed films that he is in. I think he's very good. Um, But to me, this story was very much... um, it was very much like like I've mentioned before. It was about Creed and mm-hmm. his family and his like. It was it, to me. It was kind of making that statement of like we've paid homage to Rocky and how he's helped Creed develop and how big of a part of his life he was. But now, like he's got like he's got his own family and he's a dad and he's like dealing with his own mom and like it just mm. it just wasn't something I thought about. Like it was, was more the- just. Yeah, I was about to say exactly that. Like, we need to start disconnecting Rocky because we need this is its own thing now, and we need to let yeah. that be its own thing without Rocky having to be there for like a cameo or something, you know? Because yeah. it's also a little bit like, is he not enough now? Yes, like, exactly. Yeah. Do, do, have we, we not- still need to put Sylvester Stallone in there? You know, like, I no. thought. When I first walked out, I was like, "Oh, he's me." I, I was like, "Oh, would have liked him." Didn't have to be a big one, but after either at the funeral or just during the training montage when, like, he's about to give up and then Rocky comes in, like, or something like that. Like, I was like, okay, like, it would have been a nice moment, but the more I've thought about it, the more it's like, no, this whole movie is about moving on, yes. get letting yeah, go. Yes. Let, so that, like, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's about and, letting go of your yeah. past. Yes. And, and so, like, him not being, okay, him not being in it, doesn't hurt the movie and I don't think people are going to miss and I don't think it's going to be one of those like oh he's missing and you felt it there um I, I don't think it's going to be a you felt his presence not being there but I I do think it's also I wouldn't be surprised if there are people who afterwards going I would have liked him at the funeral 
I and I get that, but I just think it would have been more of a fan service moment than yeah. serving the actual narrative. Yeah. Because to me, and like people are f- free to disagree with this, but I feel like if you put him in the funeral scene or you put him in the training montage scene, it's like he, he Creed hasn't learned anything as mm-hmm. for the training montage scene specifically. Like he hasn't learned anything. He's still holding on to I can't do this unless Rocky comes in and tells me that yeah. I can do yes. this. Yes. Like. And it's not that big of a deal at the end of the day. Like, I wouldn't have been like, oh, I can't believe they ruined the whole narrative like that. But I would have been like, but he's supposed to be learning how to let go. And And he's supposed to be learning how to move on. And especially in that training montage, he gets himself back up. Yeah. He doesn't, Rocky's not talking in his ear, saying, like, giving him wisdom. He's just doing that himself. Yeah. So that was really important. Mm. Um, One little thing I'm going to bring up, just to be like a nerd about it. I brought this up to you. But when they're first of all, it's really fucking cool that the final fight is inside Dodger Stadium. Yeah, like that is they have the fireworks going off and it's just this huge thing. And also, fuck you, Crypto.com Arena. That is not <laughs> absolutely not. But when they don't call it Staples Center, I'm like, you can fuck off. I don't want anything to do with any of this. This is the dumbest name I've ever heard in my life. I love how the non-Americans um, sitting there going, what the fuck are you talking about? I know what you're talking <laughs> oh, about. Okay, uh, I know the whole Staples Center to Crypto.com. Okay. I'm not that out of it. I don't know. There's a lot of people I know who would be that out of it. They'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? Anyway, it's a very niche thing that I'm very (laughs) upset about still. Um, And people are going to be like, oh, you're so like old crying about whatever. I don't care. (sighs) Crypto.com is the dumbest like name I've ever heard in my life. (sighs) Um, But anyway, my point was (laughs) when, (laughs) when uh, Creed is walking out down the hallway and the big like LA Dodgers thing is lit up behind him. On the right side of the wall, you see like the logos of like the, the of the other teams in their like conference, and that he's like, but you kind of only really see like one of them fully, and that's the Arizona Diamondbacks logo. And I was like, <laughs> yep, there we go. And then you see like the Padres one and the and the Oakland A's one. But I was like, hell yeah, we still where we suck as a baseball team, but we're there. We got in Creed. Good times for us. <laughs> Anything else we want to add, guys, or do you want to wrap this one up? Um, I guess I'll bring up the other thing that, um, and this shouldn't even be, again, this shouldn't even be a thing, but, like, it is a thing, so I want to talk about it. Um, It catches me by surprise every time, even though, like, I subconsciously know that it's there. But it catches me by surprise when I go in and I'm like, oh, yeah, these Creed movies are, like, fuck you and your aversion to subtitles. We're going to have deaf characters and we're going to have American sign language and we're going to make you read and we don't care. We don't care if you were ruining your sports movie by doing that. I don't care. Like I forget that it's going to happen and then it happens. I'm like, Oh yeah. Hell yeah. Yes, absolutely. And then this one had Spanish as well. That made you use subtitles. So I was like, we love this. Yeah. Though there was some, plebs in my cinema <laughs> who were like basically talking throughout every scene that wasn't a fight scene <laughs> so yeah they they didn't appreciate the art that was the subtitles but <sighs> it was I'm good. just I'm just saying if if we get to a point where if we're at a point where like the sports like the big like sports movies that are supposed to be like these action like sports drop then who are like 
I don't know if subtitles are pretty chill, like then maybe it won't be this huge thing where yes. fucking yeah. Bong Joon Ho has to go on an Oscar <laughs> stage and be like, just read the subtitles. God damn it. Yeah. Uh, all anyway, right. that's with, my final with, rant. With the, so all right. Um big recommendation from everyone here. Yeah. Yes. Definitely yeah. go see this. I even recommended this to um my best friend Imogen, who is like the girliest girl you've oh, ever met. God. And would hate a movie like this. So I was like, you have to go see yeah, it. Yeah, she'll like this. <laughs> um <laughs> All right. Taylor. Yes. Where can they find you online? <laughs> they can find me at finally tailored on Twitter. Um tweeting about Kevin Durant being on the Suns. Yeah. <laughs> Had their debut game today and I still don't believe that it's real. So come um yell about sports with me um on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, Tumblr, Letterboxd, YouTube. What else? Just everywhere. Uh, TikTok, all the pl- everything, all at of the fine. places at finally Taylor. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd at Elena Violet and Twitter and TikTok at Laney Film and all of us at Lights on the Screen on Instagram and Twitter now. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> Taylor. Um, I, on Twitter, I will be screaming about netball if anyone gives a I shit. Couldn't which believe- I couldn't believe. I don't think oh, anyone no, does. The other day, I was like, "Oh my god, Elena!" Like ranting about sport it was uh, the most amazing thing ever i was like oh my god this is a unicorn no one one gives a shit no i don't get any likes but i don't care just screaming into the void literally like no one on twitter talks about netball who the fuck is tweeting about netball on twitter yeah actually my my feed has a lot of netball for some reason i'll hook you up up. thank you and you guys can just find me everywhere at jacob london basically not really tweeting about anything other than, hey, the Oscars are coming up and I'm going to (laughs) complain. Till then, guys, thank you so much for uh, sitting through it. Yeah, we we went through it and (laughs) we we really did. I'm really glad because it was actually a lot of fun. So uh, thank you so much, guys. Next week we have another big one. We Mm. finally – okay, we have two movies next week that could really break my heart Mm, and I'm really terrified because we have Scream. Six, finally, which is my favorite horror franchise. And then we also have 65, which I have a lot riding on this movie as in like, hey, Hollywood, just original original movies. And if audiences do not go and see this movie, I am going to be mad. Even it, like, unless it's terrible. If it's terrible, then but But even, but the trailers make it look good and interesting. So if that's not enough, like an original sci-fi trailer- with a pretty recognizable lead, mm-hmm. if people are not interested enough to check it out based on a good trailer, that's when I'm going to be like, I don't know. You guys complain that there's no original mm-hmm. anything. Anyway, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. I don't know what so to that's, do. Yeah, I you, think you should get behind Candy Bar and when people come up and say, hi, can I please see Ant-Man? And they'll, uh, uh, 65? Say, I'm pretty yeah. sure 65? I heard 65, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to turn into old man yells at clouds. So... <laughs> Um, until then, guys, you have been listening to the Lights on a Screen podcast. Thank you so much for checking out this very extended episode, and we will see you next week. <laughs>